that chair comfortable? Yeah, it's fine. Sure. So you're literally the first person to record in here. Excellent. And I hope next time that you come back, it will be a little more decorated, but I feel like it's a really comfortable nook. I'll probably have to get a table because I thought the desk would work out as a table, but it really doesn't. Yeah. But you're also one of the first people in Palisade to come into my new shop. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's a great place, great space. So that's cool. Yeah. Appreciate it, man. And I'm sure we'll try to set the bar high for the first. The first. Oh, of uh, course, man. <laughs> Any, it was all by design to be you, of course. <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming by. Sorry I can't have a beer with you. I just went to Toronto. I went on a work trip to cover the NHL All-Star Game, oh. and I got absolutely shattered by food poisoning. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, That's not what you want to... Yeah, I did make it to the game, but I was not in any beer-drinking mood or anything. Right. Landed in Toronto. Actually, on my way there, I started to feel kind of sick. You know, just like your stomach starts to feel heavy. Yeah. Sometimes when you're traveling, eat something, all the altitude change. I was like, okay, whatever, but tried to fight through it. Got there, landed maybe 5 o'clock, went to my work event. Had to leave halfway through and just spent oh, the whole man. night vomiting. Oh, that's not, yeah, that's not good. Food poisoning is so crazy. It just, well, you spent a lot of t time in Thailand, I'm sure, which we'll talk about. So maybe you're familiar, but yeah. it just makes you feel so weak. It's so amazing how something you can't see or even really deal with that just, it was out of breath just walking to the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. It really, it destroys you, right? So, yeah. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, that's a topic we uh, we actually try to avoid in the food truck. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know that you don't talk about food poisoning we there. We spend a lot of time making sure that that is not a topic that comes up uh, uh, with our business. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had any complaints or anything? No, no. Yeah. no. That's like the scariest Absolutely thing about not. owning a restaurant. I would think is because it, people could complain about it, but they don't know it necessarily came from you. It's like, but in general, you just don't want to hear anybody talking about getting sick. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, the thing is that, uh, Pam has, I mean, she's, she's such a professional that the way that she goes about, um, kind of, kind of preparing everything and, and the food safety aspect of things, she's really, um, she's so good at it. And, and not to say that, you know, heaven forbid, you know, you, we could buy some, some fruit or some produce at the store that, you know, could have, you know, something, uh, you know, but uh, she's so good at the way she goes about it that that really gives me a lot of um, a lot of peace, right? Because that's that was the first thing. In fact, when we went, we were thinking of starting. We went to the business incubator and we sat down with the lady that was running it at the time, and she said, "Well, just don't make anybody sick." Yeah. I said, "Well, all right, that's that we'll advice. start with that." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. How did this all come about? Like you guys have been doing this for a couple of years now. I know you have a new property in Palisade. You're looking at developing. We'll get into that, but. I don't really even know the origin of Palitai or how it started, so I'd be curious to if you could yeah. walk us through it. Yeah, so um, I guess uh, you know I kind of left my corporate um, job environment in uh, the middle of 2019. Had an opportunity to sort of step away from that, which was um, which was welcome at the time because it was kind of just stressful and soul sucking. And what were you I, doing? So I worked for a company that did, uh, I managed a group that did large component exchanges for, uh, utility scale, uh, wind turbines and, and power plants. So we had teams that would be all over the kind of the U S and some in Canada, maybe Nicaragua, um, areas like that. And they would, uh, exchange gearboxes or blades or these, you know, large, large components when they failed. So, um, there were sort of two elements of the business. One was sort of the oil change and small corrective stuff. And then I managed a group that did large corrective stuff. So, um, you know, it was, it was very stressful when those things, um, fail, it's very expensive customers, not happy. So it's it just kind of, after 10 years of that, it, it just kind of grind, you know, would just grind you down. It was never, 
you, you were just trying to make the situation less worse all the time. There was no like, oh, we did a really amazing thing today. It was just kind of like, yeah, it was a little less worse. That's great. Was, so, were these the big wind turbines you yeah. see driving throughout West? Yeah, area? yeah. So our, our company had a, a little over a thousand of those that we managed the maintenance contracts on at the time. But, you know, through a, a series of other events, maybe things weren't going so well for the for the company. And um, I was very fortunate, you know, I was there for 10 years and got to do a lot of really good work and had a, a great team um, that, that I developed and worked with them. And, it, it, you know, there were there were elements of it that were rewarding, but there were a lot of elements of it that were really just not. And it's the corporate life, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, as things kind of went worse and worse for the for the parent company, which was it was actually a company that was uh, headquartered in India. We were sort of a wholly owned subsidiary in the United States. As things got kind of worse and worse, it just it just, you know, even the people that you had worked with your whole life almost, it just became people that you didn't recognize. And and that makes it for me that much less rewarding. So Because they got caught up in this environment? Yeah, I think, you know, if there's sort of kind of the hunger games of, of like power dynamic and, and you know, it, as things kind of get worse, people, you kind of start to see some true colors, I think, and people kind of scrambling to, to hang on to their little chunk of the of the of the universe even if you know that the greater the greater company is not doing well but you know they they kind of get into protection mode and it, it was just not enjoyable you know i mean it wasn't i always do well in environments where kind of everybody's working together we kind of have a plan and when we have a you know we have a resources to go get things done and, and we all can count on each other right and it, it was the almost the exact opposite of that you know we had no resources we're running out of money we had these huge contracts, and it, it just was kind of ugly. So, what do you think of wind energy now? Is that something that everyone is still investing in heavily? You know, I, I I'm not going to tell you that I that I pay as much attention to it um, as I used to. Right You're over it. Um, well, I just I don't need you know I only have so much bandwidth, right? I'm not the smartest guy on the block, so I, I kind of have to stay focused. But um, yeah, I think um, I, I think it works. I think it's it's uh, it's on par with uh, you know, with some of the other uh, generation sources. And I think, uh, I think they're still building big, you know, big wind farms and uh, making a lot of power, you know, I mean, so many people, I think, try to find a way to disparage it. And, you know, some of it makes sense. And some of it's just just crazy stuff, right. But I mean, we made a heck of a lot of power and uh, powered a lot of houses. And, and, you know, if you can sell electrons, at the end of the day, people don't really care if it came from burning something or the sun or the wind, right? Can kind of make it all work. So yeah, the main arguments yeah. against it are really aesthetic, right? Well, I, yeah, I mean, certainly depending on who, if you're talking about from like a not in my backyard or an NIMBY perspective, yeah, people don't like maybe to look at them. But I, I think the probably the most valid argument um, currently is is that uh, you know the wind doesn't blow all the time, right? So Fair you enough. know we need electricity all the time, and if you have a a, a source that is kind of maybe only, you know, half the day or eight or 10 or 12 hours, it's maybe a little bit harder to, to weave in. I mean, it can be done. It's done very successfully currently, but, you know, um, takes a little bit of effort. Is that what happened down in Texas last winter? I think the wind turbines froze, if I'm remembering correctly, and they, well, it was, I mean, the media made a thing of it, of course, as they do. I don't know what the actual reality on the ground, but I remember the reporting was something like the turbines had froze and that now people were going to be without power during the winter <laughs> or whatever. 
Yeah, yeah, and again, it becomes so politicized, right? Right. Which yeah, is and I'm, I, you know, I'm probably not the exact right person, but uh, I believe, you know, in in my understanding of the situation, it's more of a grid operator issue where the resiliency of the grid was was not as it should have been. You know, I I think it's um, there's a tremendous amount of wind power in Texas, so you know, but I don't think that the the case was just that because the wind turbines dripped off offline. Um, that, that the whole rest of the system crashed. I mean, that's that's really not, um, I don't think, really a viable situation. But, you know, it's, uh, I mean, because wind turbines work just fine in the cold. You know, some people will say, oh, they don't they don't work. So I actually, my buddy brought this up to me a couple of months ago. So I pulled up some old reports. And actually our production, we had a site that was in very, very far North Dakota, just, just south of, of Canada. And it, we actually produced way more electricity in you know, uh, December, January, and February, because that's when the winds are, are the highest. So, uh, but that's when it's the coldest. But no problem with freezing or snow right. or anything like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, there can be some problems, but I, I think they're kind of generally isolated. It's not. It's not like if the temperature hits negative X degrees, they just shut off, right? Right. Yeah. And once they're once they're spinning and turning. Yeah, they're pretty hot. They, I would think, they, with, like a car. You know, yeah, once you get the engine right. warm, it's going. It's not yeah. just because it's cold out. It's not yeah. going to stop working. Yeah, they make they make heat, and there's heaters up in the nacelles and things. You know, but I think, uh, yeah, I think anytime something happens, if people can use it to political advantage, right? They they will. As opposed to just saying, yeah, you know, we we didn't make the proper investments in the grid infrastructure, and uh, and interconnection, and hence you know, these people are out of power. It's much easier to point it. You know, some other of course problem. Yeah. Play the so, blame game. Yeah. The yeah. the interesting argument I heard too, which from a lot of environmentalists, you would think they would be very for this because it would mean less fossil fuels and better for the environment to have more wind turbines. But in Hawaii, for example, I used to live out there and, and wind and renewable energy was a big topic. Solar is becoming huge out there finally. And they wanted to put more wind turbines out. Maui has some, but they wanted to put some on Oahu and the whole thing. Some NIMBY stuff, not in my backyard, but a lot of the arguments were about birds. Sure. That yep. they would kill the birds. Yeah. And, and the, you know, there is a concern there, right? So, um, I mean, I, the last study I saw was probably seven, seven or eight years ago at, at a conference. And, you know, it's, it, it, it is something that happens, right? And it's, it's primarily when you talk about migratory birds, you know, the larger birds that are in migration, you know, um, not really worried too much about the the small sparrows which you know probably for those cars and cats kill significantly more right but when you're talking about about a big you know predator or migratory bird it becomes problematic because there's just just fewer of them right so i think there's been a lot of work done uh to try to mitigate um you know some of that birds and, and then and then bats even now there was a lot of studies and i haven't looked into this any of it recently so i'm not i'm not current or up to date but you know for a while there was a lot of consideration about bats and and the low frequency vibration of the turbines uh, affecting bats so i think the moral of the story is you know nothing's free right i mean we don't we don't have an amazing free source of energy that has no downsides, right? We just have to kind of manage and mitigate and decide, you know, pick our poison, so to speak. But, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of solar, you know. I mean, I think, uh, you know, it has some of the same challenges as wind, but um, we have so much solar capacity. It's just incredible. And there's, you know, there's no moving parts, really. Um, you know, the, the materials to make it are basically silica, which is the most abundant, you know, uh, resource on the planet so uh, yeah i think there's a lot of benefit there i mean a hybrid makes sense just like cars to me you know there's all this drama over electric cars and gas cars 
it seems the hybrids are the most common sense solution. It's like, yeah, use electricity when you're going short distance and the gas is there if you need it as a backup, right? And just same yeah. with power grid. It's like use solar, use wind, use it to its full advantage. But okay, we'll have a little bit of backup with fossil fuel if need be. And that's better than where we are now. Yeah. Seems yeah. very common sense. Just to touch on one thing you said, the studies, I mean, you've worked in this industry you must have been flooded with studies that said totally opposite things at all times. You, Anything you look at, you're going to find, no matter who, depends on who's paying for it, the sure. study can say whatever you want. Oh, well, it doesn't affect birds, but that's only a specific type of bird. Well, it does affect bird, but it's only this. You know, right. It's like, how do you wade through all that, like being in that kind of position? Yeah, I mean, I mean right, the old adage is that uh, figures lie and liars figure, right? Um, Love that. And so it's like, it's with anything, right? You have to take take it with a grain of salt. Right. Um, for us, I, I would say, um, in particular to our position, we we were, th- this was more applicable to development, right? The guys who were developing sites, um, siting, finding places to put turbines and things like that. For us, the turbines were already kind of in the ground. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, we might have some operational um, aspects that might um, be informed by a particular study or some regulatory environment. Um, you know, honestly, I would say in that context, it wasn't really, um, it wasn't really our, my place or our place to interpret the study or say, is it believable or not? It was our place to determine, is that going to, uh, lead to policies that are going to affect our business model? And then what are we going to do maybe in response to that? So, uh, I guess that's a short way of saying if the regulator decided that the study was valid, right, then that could have implications for us. But that's the same in any way, you know, whether it's OSHA or, or you know, uh, occupational health and safety or something like that, right? If they decide a particular aspect of the turbine is not safe to work on, you know, we can go and say, well, we don't, we don't believe that this study, but they'll say, well, yeah. that's, you believe what you want to believe. Here's the new regulation, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, you guys were doing this in other countries. You said Central America? Yeah, Nicaragua, Nicaragua Brazil. Much um, less regulation down there, I'm guessing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, yeah, less less probably like uh, OSHA regulation, but other um, pseudo-regulations maybe. Like an example might be, you know, in Brazil, um, it w- we would work in, in multiple different, um, you know, uh, counties or towns or whatever municipalities or whatever and so for us to take a part from one area where we might have a a, a warehouse out to a turbine in a different area you'd have to pass through multiple kind of areas and then we're supposed to be a tax fill out the paperwork in each of those areas just to move that part and i'm not i'm not even talking huge parts you know i'm talking you know those small parts um which became really uh I mean, impossible, right? So some regulations were much easier, other regulations much more, you know, complicated. So it's kind of, again, you just sort of pick your pick your battles, right? Did you get to travel down there? Yeah, yeah. I spent, that must have been cool. It was very cool. I spent uh, spent quite a bit of time in Brazil. We had a, initially, um, I was working on a, a very large and not very, um, good project uh, we had had a, a huge uh, issue with our blades that we were um, retrofitting and th- these things are huge right um, they weigh 17,000 pounds and they're roughly 
what, 17,000 uh, pounds per, per blade. blade. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're crazy and they're a hundred feet long or whatever. Right. I've once driven by, uh, I don't know if it was a blade, but part of a wind turbine that was on a semi truck mm -hmm. and I had no clue they were that big. Yeah. You don't realize how, how tall are they? Yeah. Uh, the actual turbines themselves. Yeah. Um, like the tower that holds the blades. Yeah. See, I'm probably going to get this wrong. Um, more than a hundred feet. Yeah. 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 So I think ours were 80 and 90 meter towers. So, you know, Around, around 300 feet. feet wow tall yeah but you know the they're, they're in sections right so there's before sections of the tower and then the blades themselves you know roughly 40 meter blades so 120 feet long you know so we had to take a bunch of these things down and retrofit them and put them back up because they were they were becoming damaged in in production and use a was, crane to do that yeah you need a you Big need time. a huge crane very expensive huge crane so <laughs> so you know I, I i would travel down to help with that project down there i actually managed that project in the u.s as well where we replaced um see i used to have the exact number memorized but i forgot it but somewhere around 850 870 of these blades we took down truck to a facility retrofitted brought back and reinstalled so it was it was actually quite a quite a project um but yeah that's how i ended up spending time in brazil which which i really enjoyed it was uh we were in a town called fortaleza which is kind of on the northeast kind of right on the, the the little nub of the country and it was beautiful yeah we were right on the ocean and it's wonderful nice. great food what'd you do while beautiful you were down there? people well we were working a lot man it was this you know the, the hard part is um, it, it, for this project, the, the costs were just astronomical. You know, it was measured in probably a million dollars a week that, that we were spending or paying liquidated damages. So we worked a lot. Um, but we did find some time to kind of to cruise around at some of the markets and things like that. And, you know, but it was not as much as, as we would have loved. But really enjoyed the food. You know, the food was great. The, the people were wonderful. It was beautiful, beautiful scenery and great beaches. So. Were you married yeah. to Pam at this time? No, no, no that was okay. before Pam. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So. so 2019, you decide to leave all this behind, right? Despite so, yeah. the travels and yeah, exotic nature of this, you yeah. just corporate life. Totally understand that. Right. I mean, and, it's fun to travel. I love to travel. Um, it, it can be a little bit stressful when it's for work, and you know, kind of well, towards the that. end, it was just to Chicago. That's where the office was, and back. You know, and it, it's almost like. You, you kind of you're like going. It's just just dreading it, right? Which, yeah, it doesn't feel like. Oh, this is fun trip, and right. especially if you've been there a million times, or right. it's just like in and out. There's no time for fun, or yeah. to get that perspective on a place. Right. But were you living here in Palisade at that time? Yeah, yes. oh, you were. Uh -huh. When did you yeah. first get here? Uh, I I moved out to Palisade full time because um, I, I I lived here for a little while, and then I I had an apartment in Chicago for work, and then I bought the house that we're currently in in 2013. So, mm. how did you discover Palisade? Well, yeah, we had some family that lived here. Um, my grandparents actually uh, were in Palisade in the mid-60s um, for a little while. And, excuse me, one of my aunts was born here. So, you know, we had some history here of fourth-generation Coloradans. So, you know, uh, and then um, my aunt and uncle moved up here in kind of the late 90s, I think. They bought a place up on East Orchard Mesa. And uh, so we would come visit them as a family or whatever. And... Uh, yeah, and it was pretty pretty sleepy back then. I uh, bet. You know, but always a cool place for us to come. You know, there were not nearly as many wineries um, uh, back then. Yeah, everything I've heard about Palisade in the past, especially going back more than the 60s, is that it wasn't a Wild West town. It was much more of an agricultural, religious town. So that kept things pretty calm. And then, yeah, the wine really didn't start popping until the 90s. Right. And tourism is such a new thing here. 
So yeah. I thought it was, what did you do when you came here as a kid? Well, you know, I, I mean, I was, yeah, I, we didn't spend a lot of time when I was young, but at the, young, that young, but, you know, I would say around like my late 20s or early 30s is when, when we'd come up here to visit the family. So, you know, we, we would, um, they had a great ranch out, the small ranch out there, you know, so um, just kind of hang out, be outside. We would come up for wine fest when it was, you know, so much smaller than it is now. It used to be in the Veterans Park, right, that was was so small just five wineries or something yeah yeah i don't even remember i mean we do the bike ride um you know the tour of the vineyards and things and just hang out and uh yeah nothing nothing too crazy right um but then kind of progressively it sort of grew on me and i and i when i was looking to move from denver um uh you know just denver was too crazy and i I like to i like to get outside i like to ski and it was just becoming very hard to do from there so i uh I still had some family up here, and I knew at that time that my mom, she was living in um, in Louisville or Superior at the time. I knew she was going to retire and and kind of maybe want to be somewhere a little quieter. And we have other family in Salt Lake. So I thought this is a pretty logical place to, to kind of look around and, and poke around. And uh, and so I, I, I did. And uh, when I uh, after I had my place in my apartment in Chicago for work for a while, when it was okay for me to kind of not be in the office every day again I could kind of work remotely and then I f- was so fortunate to just find the, the cool place that we're in now and it was a much different time I tell everybody when when I bought that house um, there were four houses and we lived just out just outside of Palisade just barely there were four houses right next to each other for sale at the time which kind of unheard of ever since then you know yeah. we kind of had our pick of the of the of the neighborhood so yeah so so we bought that but but yeah, so 2019, um, we'd been here, and um, I had the opportunity to kind of leave that corporate structure for, for better or for worse, you know, and, and I was kind of burned out on that, that whole corporate environment, you know. I, I was never sort of a dog-eat-dog, claw-my-way-to-the-top person, you know. I was always more of a get-together, do the project, work together, you know, collaborate, and we'll all be, you know, celebrated at the end, and, and that was just gone. So um, I had the chance to to, to leave through some other circumstances and, and, uh, in a, in a good way. And, uh, so we, I did that. And then, yeah, I mean, Pam and I, we just kind of took, we took about a year and a half off and just tried to decide what we really felt like doing. And when did you meet Pam? So I met Pam in 2000. Gosh, I should know this. I hope there's not, she's not listening. She's going to listen. I know. She won't be surprised. (laughs) She'll be like, he doesn't know anything. Um, yeah, like 2000, 15, 2016 time frame. She was actually working in Moab um, oh. that we met. And um, so we kind of dated. She, it was kind of a long, long distance thing. Where she did you meet her after an outdoor adventure or something? Oh, I wish. Cool no, story. I did like everybody else online. Yeah. Ah, there <laughs> so you go. Online. Yeah. That's the nude. That's, that's the way. That's it. Yeah. I mean, you know. It's I mean, effective. Yeah. It really is. Much better story if I could say, yeah, we met in a bar or, you know, on a hiking trail. But I'm honestly so glad yeah. that we didn't have online dating when I was in high school or college. Yeah. Because yeah. I think it just would have gotten out of hand. Ruined it, right? Yeah. Facebook came out when I was a sophomore in college. Mm. And that just like sparked this huge change in the way everyone pursued people and the way they tried to find out about people. Right. Instead of just going through a friend of a friend like you would or just letting it be natural, hanging out. 
everyone turned into a bunch of creepers, you know, going on <laughs> Facebook. Oh, this girl in class. Like, oh, I saw her test paper. Her name's this. Let me look her up and let me poke her. Remember the poke when that used to be a thing? Well, I'm not, I'm, I'm not big into the into, into Facebook, I have to be honest with well, you. Well, you're so. lucky. Good. I'm yeah. not anymore. I mean, but just at that time, it. I remember how it just flustered everyone. Everyone got so into it. And just the apps that they have now are just, it's on steroids. Yeah. You know, there's just no end yeah. to it. Yeah. So I, you know, I was, I was so, so fortunate, you know, I met a bit, met a few cool people and whatnot, but then I met Pam and, you know, it, it took us a while. We kind of, you know, going back and forth cause she was still working over there and whatnot. So I would go over and she would come over and, you know, eventually we, we figured out we could make it more serious. And, and then she, um, she, her friends are our friends, um, own, uh, one of the nice Thai restaurants in Moab. And so she was helping working there and then she moved over, um, is the restaurant still there? Yeah. What is it? I'm always yeah. looking for a good. It's good called Ty Bella. Ty Bella. Ty Bella. Yeah, Bella, the in owner. Moab. A good okay. friend of ours. Wonderful food and just a wonderful friend. So I'm actually going on Saturday to Moab. Oh, so well, maybe we'll go. Stop in and yeah, tell Bella, Bella we sent you. I will. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that'll get you. <laughs> yeah. Is that going to get me food poisoning? <laughs> it won't get you thrown out. I don't think. Okay. But yeah, I know Bella's a she's a character. And, That's awesome. Uh, and she's been a, a good friend uh, uh, of Pam's. So. And you convinced Pam to come to move to Grand Junction. Yeah, yeah. Or Palisade, I should yeah. say. Yeah, I mean, that seems to be her single lapse in judgment as far as I can ah. tell. But No, she loves, you know, Pam is uh, so wonderful in so many ways, but she loves our little farm. We just have two acres, you know, and and she just fit right in. She loves gardening. We have a huge garden. She loves the animals. She loves all the fruit trees. We have few you know uh, as one of our other friends would call it a, a fruit cocktail we have you know oh, yeah. like a few different trees of everything right and uh so that just brings her so much happiness and uh taking care of the the, the trees and and you know when we have a good year you know picking everything so um it was a really good fit for her and uh so i i, I think that was probably a significant portion of her motivation. Yeah. But there was a, was there a light bulb moment for the restaurant? Cause she had worked in it and then the pandemic started. Did yeah. you guys decide before the pandemic? Yeah. So we, uh, we were kind of thinking, gosh, well, should we do something or, you know, I was, I was kind of ready to, to retire. And, and I tell everybody that and they said, what are you talking about? It's crazy. But you know, my idea of, of retirement was just not, not working for a corporation where, you know, I had to, I had to be looking over my shoulder all day long, you know, um, whatever that meant. Right. And I, and I didn't know, and I didn't care. Like I, you know, I, I'd be happy to do whatever. And we've been, uh, I've been very fortunate in, in a lot of regards, you know, to, to, to have some flexibility. Right. So we were just talking and, and, you know, Pam, she loves, uh, well, I'll, I'll go on the record as saying, if you had asked me, six years ago, um, if I ever want to own a restaurant, I would have said, are you nuts? <laughs> like all I've ever heard about restaurants is, you know, they're notoriously difficult. Margins are tight, you know, all these, all these different things, fail right? fail or whatever. Yeah. 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 And, you know, coming from kind of a, a, a business background, I, I would have to to say in all honesty that at, like at no point in my life would I say, I think I'm going to, plus nobody wants to eat my food on a regular basis, you know, let's be honest. But, uh, you know, Pam, she just loves, she loves to cook. She loves her country and the history and the authenticity. Um, and, and I think, you know, she just felt like she wanted to do something on her own because she, she, you know, she's been in the, in the United States for about 15 years now and she's always worked in restaurants, but she's always worked as a server. That was always, she never worked in the kitchen. And, and so not, you know, not cause she, she couldn't, she just 
she just maybe, I don't know, didn't, didn't want to, or that, you know, she could make more money probably, you know, serving, right. Making tips. So she really wanted to do something that was her own, you know, that represented, you know, uh, her, her love of Thai food and share that, um, you know, with people. And so we kind of started talking and, and I said, well, you know, I mean, Palisade could always use more food options and, you know, an understatement yeah yeah in, in all honesty you know i, I said I, I really don't know if, if palisade's gonna um gonna like thai food you know so I, we were uh, again I, i'm when it comes to business i'm a pretty conservative person you know i said let's you know we're not gonna go rent a, a space and build out a, a restaurant and 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 sit there like field of dreams you know see if, the, if people will come <laughs> so i said well let's uh, you know let's think about a food truck and then the cool thing is we can you know, we can get into it with not a ton of investment. We can op- be open when we want. We can be closed when we want to travel. That was that sounded great. Um, Perfect. It, didn't, it doesn't really, as it turns out, that's sort of true. But, um, yeah, so we, I said, well, let's do this. Um, we kind of started looking at what's required for the health department and things. And so we decided to just do a tent uh, at the farmer's market. And so that was our kind of first thing. We kind of built out this tent. And uh, I, I hope there's some people that still... I still remember it. Um, I know there there are some people we know that that came to it, but we just set this tent up and Pam, we had our sandwich prep so we could make fresh rolls and Pam had a stir fry station that we had set up where she could, you know, stir fry right at the tent and the line was down the block. Um, mostly because we weren't very quick at it, but it also, it looked like we had a lot of customers, right? And we felt like we had a lot of customers, so. That's the strategy. It's like a club. That's you right. Want people lined up outside, yeah. makes it look cool. That's right. That's Did right. you need a lot of permitting to, to open that at the front? What, what year was that? Was that 2019? Yeah, that, no, that was the end of, that was, I, well, see, I always screw this up, but that was um, uh, September of 2020. So, so that was when you debuted at the farmer's market. So right, like right. So it kind of took when us. those farmer's markets restarted during the pandemic, like yeah. after the first wave yes. of that. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, I mean, as far as permitting, you know, it was it was kind of the same amount of permitting as the trailer, really. We had to kind of demonstrate certain things and, and uh, make sure that we had all our, our you know, necessary equipment. Working and, with a commissary kitchen. Yes. That's when you went to the incubator. That's right. So you were prepping at the incubator. Right. Yep. Coming across down to Palisade. Right. Yeah. Set up the tent. We roll everything out. I had this, this trailer, the trailer that's now the food truck. That was a, a cargo trailer that, uh, that I owned and we would put all the equipment in that, get to the farmer's market, roll it all out under the tent. And it was incredible. You oh, know? really? So it that was, the food truck now was originally the trailer to right. get everything. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. I mean, originally it was a motorcycle trailer for me to put my motorcycles in, but, uh, ah. yeah, I lost that in the deal. So, well, you know, I need to get a new one now, but, uh, yeah. So, I mean, and it was, it was so cool because, you know, part of it, uh, part of the thing that was, I thought was just so amazing is, you know, in Thailand, it's very traditional. Every town has a market, you know, and it's a, people come and they set up every day. They set their, their things up and they cook and they, you know, and they tear down and they come back the next day or, or, or whatever. So, you know, for, for us and for Pam, it was, um, it was, it was kind of just very natural, but, but people at the market thought, oh, my goodness, look at these people. They set this whole tent up every day, and then they tear it down. And we were just like, well, yeah. I mean, it was, you know, but uh, it, it sort of proved the concept. It proved the demand, and uh, it was a really cool thing. It was really fun. And, uh, you know, it was kind of like that initial honeymoon period where you, like, have this idea, you work on it, you know, you kind of think, all right, we're, we're going to give it a shot, and then you go do it, and people love it, and, you, and you're sort of, it was very exciting, right? We thought, well, we might be onto something here. What so, was your initial menu? 
was it similar oh, to what gosh. it is now, or yeah, has it I think, evolved? I think so. She did a couple stir fries, I think. Uh, she changes it every day. So, you know, I mean, even even now, I don't know what's going to be on the menu until, you know, an hour before I you get there, pull yeah. the trailer up. Yeah, I, was, I got to print the menus every day. So, um, yeah, it was pretty similar. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll probably shouldn't say, but I'll say our prices were a lot less. <laughs> we didn't know. And even uh, some of our friends looked at our prices. They said, no, that's not right. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, it's introductory price. Right. You know, it's like, get the brand out there. Right. Get it going. We're Were like you the called drug Pally Thai at that time? Yeah. Yeah. We're like the drug dealers. We're like the drug oh, dealers of Thai food. Yeah. Cheap, cheap initial cheap, pricing, right? Yeah. yeah. Raise it up on them. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it was. And, uh, you know, at the sign that we have on the side of the truck now, I made that the day or two before we went to the market and we just kind of hung it out on the thing, man. It was it was really cool. So you only did that for, because if that was September, you only had a, a month left or so. Right. So a couple weekends. Yeah, we did it for like three weeks. They they used to, the markets used to go a little bit later. They went into October. Um, and they would have like, a, they call it a fall harvest market or something. And we did that. And then um, I think it was October 20th. Um, we had a horrible storm and I don't, I don't know if you guys were around then, but it was just, it was crazy. We got up on Sunday morning. It was like 60 degrees out or something. It was, it was just insane. And, and uh, for October, you know, like in the morning. And uh, we set up the tent, and by 11.30 or noon, it was just sleeting and snowing. Oh. And it was like 20-some-odd degrees out and windy, like people's tents were blowing down the, the down the down you know, the, the main street and stuff. Oh God. And I was literally holding on to our tent to keep it from blowing away. And I remember these two guys um, came up, and they said, hey, can, can we – get an order in here? <laughs> and I said, well, um, you know, at that time we weren't really saying no to anybody. So I said, well, maybe I think so, but you, you're going to have to stand over here and block the wind so that we can get the, the fry, burner the burner lit. working. Right. <laughs> and so literally Pam's stir frying in a, in a you know, a, a, this crazy snowstorm. And uh, then we had to pack everything up and that, you know, it was just miserable. And she looked at me and she said, okay, uh, no more of the tent. And so we went on a sort of a search to uh, to decide if we were going to buy a, a food truck. And I, I kind of wanted to buy a, a new one, you know, so Pam's very, you know, particularly wanted to be clean and look nice, you know. And, and, and some of the older ones, you, you, it's hard to find a used one that's really in good shape. I feel like they're just probably grease dens. Right? Yeah, you know, it, it's just so hard. You know, I mean, you really have to find somebody who is absolutely committed to keeping it, you know, very clean. Because it, yeah, and, and so many of the food trucks, if you use it every day, it's, you know, I mean. What are you going to do? Yeah. So um, so we kind of ruled out used, and we started looking at new ones, and then uh, kind of COVID was, was still going on there at, at that time when we were looking for the food truck, and prices were kind of high. And What does I, a food truck cost, a new food well, truck? Well, it, it's quite a range, of course. But the one we were looking for was maybe uh, a 16 or 18 foot, or maybe brand new in the... In the range of fifty-five to sixty-five thousand. But that's with all the kitchen equipment already yeah. in there and everything. The, pretty much turnkey, right? And you, and yeah. you can certainly get cheaper ones. And people listen. Oh man, I got mine for thirty thousand. There are some people who uh, who bought some. They make. Uh, they actually make a, a, quite a few of them in Mexico, and then they ship them up. You know, and they're functional, but I, you know, maybe the quality isn't isn't quite my, what people might want. So anyway, uh, we were looking and looking, and then you know, delivery times were kind of hard to tell because getting parts and stuff. And I just said, well. You know, look, we can't really work now because we're not going to do too much in the tent. We did a couple other small little things with our friend um, Jamie, who used to own Pressed. Um, we took the tent over there, and they were doing some little things. We did a couple more events like that. And then I said, well, we're not really doing anything, and I got that old cargo trailer. I might as well just 
convert that thing. So I uh, kind of just started buying parts and welding up, you know, the inside. And, and uh, You did all that yourself? Yeah, so I built that whole trailer, um, everything in that myself and bought the vent hood and everything. And and uh, we got that kind of ready to go and got it certified with the Mesa Health in like April of 2021, I think. Was April that an May. easy process? The certification? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For us, Pretty it was straightforward. It, it, very much so, you know. But, I, I mean, I, I came from the, you know, the, from, coming from the energy sector. Prior to that, I, I worked for aircraft manufacturer, which we only haven't even talked about. But that, that's my, like my first, second, and third love of life was airplanes. But um, so I, I'm used to a regulated environment, right? And, and the health department kind of gives you like a roadmap. And this, these are, you know, the 15 things that you need to have. And so as long as you kind of check those boxes, uh, yeah, for us, it was it was very straightforward. They're, they're wanting to approve you. They're not looking to find some yeah, small thing to disprove you. It's just right. like, here's what you got to do, and you do it, and you're good. Yeah, it, yeah. Ex exactly, right? Uh, yeah, so um, they were very good to work with, and we had all of our stuff straight. And uh, and so it was it was great, you know, and, and we were ready to go with the trailer. We were we were weatherproof. Sort I love of. that. I love that memory of the farmers market because that must have oh. been such a moment for you guys. It's the snowstorm. Everybody's leaving the market. I'm guessing your tents are blowing away. Vendors right. are packing up, but yet you still have someone standing there saying like, "Hey, I'd like to order your food." Yeah, yeah. These guys are like, "All right, we got something here." I mean, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So well, okay, all right. Yeah. So it, it it was fun. I mean, it was an inflection point, right? Where we decided, well, we, we either need to do something, we need to grow, or you know, with, because we can't do the tent. <laughs> yeah. And where did you debut the trailer? Gosh. Uh, do you remember your first spot? That no, you took that's that a great to? question. I do not. <laughs> I should, I could look it up, but yeah. Uh, no, I don't know. Probably maybe at Savage, I think maybe. Okay. Yeah. We were doing quite a bit with those guys at that point. Um, yeah. And we still do, um, you know, as much as possible with them, but it was probably there. But Does yeah. Pam like cooking? I feel like cooking in a food truck must be so just tight and compressed versus under the tent you know it's you're just a little open air a little bit does she have any yeah. thoughts on cooking in there does she like it well you know i th i think what i could say is I, I know that she loved the tent because it it broke down it took away some of the barriers and it really invited people to to to, to enjoy and to be part of the process which for her a, a big portion of this is you know sharing you know i mean in thailand if you go to someone's house you share a meal and they, and it's a huge meal and you know, it's, it's like, so for Pam, you know, she approaches, you know, the menu and cooking like that, you know, sharing with people, even though, you know, there's a customer relationship, but so it, it broke down that barrier. I mean, you could see exactly what was going on. People knew exactly where their food was coming from. And that was really cool. And it, you know, that was probably the one downside to building the trailer is that we wanted still for people to be able to see what was happening, to see, you know, what was, how it was going. And so, you know, from a, from a, you know, a distance perspective, it did put a little bit of distance between, you know, Pam and the customer, um, you know, from a, uh, ease of cooking perspective, the trailers, you know, was a, a huge step up from the tent because, you know, we just had, we had more equipment, uh, we, had, we had a vent proof. hood, you know, yeah. we had, uh, air conditioning at sometimes, you know, and heat, which was nice. So, um, so from that perspective, I think it, um, you know, it, it was an improvement, um, as busy as we get some days now, it, it can get very small, um, you know, there's just no way around it. And unfortunately, uh, that was the size trailer that we had. So we kind of had to fit everything in. And it, it, 
you know, luckily we're small people. We're not, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, you post up outside now. I Whenever do. I see you guys around town, yeah. you're out front. Do you love yeah. that? Do you like that customer interaction? I do. I do. Yeah. For You know, for us, it's a, it's a huge part of the deal because, you know, I, I know um, it's it's just a, a way that, you know, we can connect with a customer. And I and I you know, we have other friends that have food trucks. We have other food trucks. You know, they open the window, you take your order, they slam the window, right? Yeah. Like, that's not our model. Like, I, you know, we uh, are so much about being in the community, being well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm from my perspective, I guess the community is the one that gets to determine if, if this is true or not. But we love to, I love to talk to people. I love, you know, we have customers that come every week and I love to find out what they're up to or how they're doing or, you know, what else is going on. So, you know, I, that, you know, Pam doesn't let me in the trailer. There's no room and I'm, <laughs> I don't, I'm not useful in that, in that environment. You know, I'm not like a, I'm not a good So you don't chef. do any cooking at all? I, do I really you, don't. Do you, you do know? any of the prep and helping that way? Um... I'd love to lie to you and say yes, but no, not really. <laughs> That's you know, her I, domain. I mean, I, I could, but, you know, Pam is so specific. She is so demanding. Like when I try to help her, like, cut vegetables or something, it's never the right length. Mm. It's uh, So that's a job <laughs> that I get fired from, you know, instantly, which it's in my old business, I would have said, it was my theory of skilled incompetence. Like I never want to be the guy who was like, Oh man, yeah, Mike, he can do it. You know, give him a call. He's great at chopping vegetables. Right. So, you know, it. maybe yeah. there's part of it. that's just my old me falling back in my old ways where I'm like, look, I, that's, I don't really want to do that, but I, I'm not great at it. Right. But she's taking so much pride in it. It sounds like it's her baby. She wants to well, have full control over the dish and everything. And that's, you got to respect that. That's yeah. Awesome. It's, it's all part of the process for her. Right. And, uh, and so it, it, it works, you know, and, and, you know, I can be outside, um, you know, and, 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 and the other part of it is that, you know, Pam spent 15 years as a waitress and, um, well, I would say, you know, uh, she enjoyed it. The aspect of, of true, you know, like interacting with customers and customer service, she's kind of, kind of, I won't say burned out on, but you know, it, it, she's done that. She's right. Over it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and me, I could talk to anybody. Yeah. Hence, you know, this, totally. but. Um, and so it, it's just a good natural fit. And then she can, you know, make the food, enjoy saying hi to people, but not have to, you know, not, not have to be fully engaged in that. So it, it works that way. And you're using a lot of ingredients from your farm, right? Well, some, not as many as we'd like. I mean, we, we wish we could use more and more, but primarily like the Thai chilies we do, we grow every year, a, a ton of those, um, cilantro, sometimes some basil, uh, some jalapenos and, and things like that. So. That's primarily what we're able to use now, um, and we'd like to grow that, but it's just, it's just time and energy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Make us hungry. Tell me what you love about <laughs> Thai food. Like, what are some of yeah. the core aspects of it? Because yeah. were you familiar with it before you met Pam? How much? How into yeah. that cuisine were you before you guys met? You know, I w- I would say just barely, right? Like, uh, you in a business environment people say oh let's go out for Thai tonight right you know but um there are things that I really love about Thai food and then if I'm being honest there's some things that I don't personally love right I mean other people really do but you know we all have our favorites and and things like that so um you know I would say my my favorite thing that Pam makes and she she rarely makes it in the trailer anymore she did in the tent a couple times is a common guy which is it's just boiled chicken with ginger and then you take the broth out of the chicken and you make the rice and she makes this amazing amazing um spicy ginger sauce to go on the top which is it's just incredible i I love it you know she always knows that's my my favorite one so you know there are, are certainly um you know things that i i really enjoy but 
the the great thing about Pam is is that she is I think she's able to take things that are, you know, they're traditional Thai, but also make them approachable for for people because a, a lot of times in in traditional Thai dishes they'll be very uh, fish a lot of fish sauce you know which some some people myself maybe included I, I'm not a huge fan of, of fermented fish sauce right so it can be kind of off putting um, if there's too much uh, of that or the shrimp paste yeah. Yeah, and, and some people love it, right? But others don't. So I think, you know, Pam is able to sort of, um, she's, again, be, because she spent 15 years waiting, serving, you know, waiting tables, she can almost, she almost has this, like, sense. She knows what people are going to like, and she knows what people think they like, and then they order it, and then if they don't like it, you know, she she can understand that. So she brings a lot of that to the to the things that she does in the trailer to, to kind of make it... Um, I would say authentic, but approachable. Mm. Right. Yeah. I love the combination of the spice and the fresh herbs. Like yeah. You talked about like you get these spices in the noodles and the chicken or that ginger, but then you have this really fresh basil or cilantro right. to just kind of brighten it all up. Like I love that about not only Thai food, but other Asian cuisines as well. Yeah. Yeah. But am I like a loser if I order pad thai? Like, is that like, <laughs> do, do Thai people like laugh? I mean, I've traveled quite a bit in Thailand. Maybe we can get yeah. to it later, but. It's always like if you order the pad thai, that's such an, a foreigner thing to order. People are like, okay, you know. Yeah, I, it, it, I mean, um, it's interesting, right? Because um, and Pam, you know, she could speak to this much better than I can. But it, it, people always think, oh, pad thai is the is the quintessential dish. It's gonna, you know, and it and it really kind of isn't in Thailand. It's just, you know, it's. it's yeah, I don't a, think locals eat pad thai, do they? Yeah, I mean, occasionally they might. You know what I mean? But it's not like. They're like, oh my god! Every you know, this is our national dish. Yeah, and and in fact, you know, maybe I'm I'm maybe I'm a bit hypocritical on this because you know Pam's brother and sister both operate uh, pad thai stands at the you know at their local markets. So you know, obviously, mm. there's there is demand for it, but they're the only pad thai stand. You know what I mean? It's not like there's tons. So you know, the Thai basil is is probably if I think if Pam were here, she would say that's the the dish that you'll find in any. Um, street vendor or anywhere that's kind of the uh the and what's in that one so that's it's basically minced pork um you know a minced pork that's uh, stir fried with uh pam's secret sauce she doesn't even tell me what's in it but mm-hmm. um and some she'll sp- tell everyone yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah she writes all the recipes in thai so i get i can't even sell the recipe book right but um yeah with some uh some spice some pepper some thai chilies right served over rice and it's just it's you know it's very good as well but to your point about the freshness you know i think that makes all the difference we get so many comments from people um who say you know look we we love your your food because it's so fresh and and it has to be right because in the food truck we don't we don't have a ton of storage and so you know we we she tries to make sure that all the vegetables are as fresh as possible and and make sure that that shows through, you know. Oh, it's made to order. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah, it's like I've never been to your truck where it's like, order it, here it is right away. Right. Not that it's <laughs> taken a long time. Sometimes but it does. Sometimes <laughs> it has, but usually yeah. it's spoken vine, you're having a beer, you're with, that kind of lends to the community feel where you're yeah. hanging out. Now, if you go there in a rush, you know, that's on you. But I, right. usually it's a reasonable 10, 15 minutes, but that's a good sign because you know that it's being cooked fresh. Yeah. And, you know, some people, I think everyone understands that now, but uh, it, it Particularly when we were getting started, you know, people kind of said, "Oh, you, you can't, you can't make cook to order stir fry. I mean, you just have to get it all ready, put it into a, a warming pan, and just and just scoop it." And and Pam said, 
no, we're just not going to do that, right? And so that comes with its with its its advantages, you know, and its drawback. But you know, Pam has no interest in making food that is not fresh, made to order, you know, hot when it comes out, and 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 perfect every time, or as close to as possible, right? So you, you know that. But there's going to be wait times, you know, and and we're sensitive to that, and and we understand that that could be frustrating, you know. I mean, I I think I'm. I, I've been guilty a time or two in my life of getting a little hangry at a restaurant, you know, <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm sure that I deserve the, you know, occasionally when people are upset about that, I, I deserve it. But, you know, I try to, I try to set the expectation. I try to make sure people know, Hey, it's, it's going to be a while. Right. Um, and, and most people understand and, and certainly the locals understand. And, you know, we have a business that's absolutely focused on, on locals. Right. Um, so it's very rare, you know, if, if a tourist, somebody from out of town comes in, we're, we're, we're happy about that. But, you know, sometimes I do have to kind of set the expectation and, and they give me that. I say, well, it could be 45 minutes. You know, they give me that look of just just disgust. You know, like, <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean 45 minutes? <laughs> and, and, you know, I just kind of, and particularly since you brought it up, you know, sitting at Spoken Vine, and, and as you know, you know, like the, the Mesa is behind you. Mount Garfield is there. I mean. I said, just get a drink and sit down. Maybe 45 minutes will be gone before you know it. Yeah. And if not, you know, I don't know. Go somewhere go else. Somewhere I'm not else. even sure yeah. where, but yeah. <laughs> good yeah. luck. Yeah, I mean, it's it's good to set the expectation, right? If someone didn't know, I could see yeah. how they would be yeah. angry or something. Yeah. But do you guys get a lot of people that complain? I would imagine. You know, I could count them on one hand. And, you know, I will tell you, it's it's always my fault. So, I mean, I could almost tell you because we're we're so intimate with our customers. I could tell you every complaint that we've received. You know, one one gentleman, he's vegan, and I accidentally forgot to put no egg. And man, you know, he he's a very nice guy. He's a business owner in town, but you would have thought I, I like you know had tried to poison him. Oh. And and I said, look, I, you know, I'm sorry. It's it my fault. You know, another guy, you know, at the farmers market, the wait was was longer than I had told him. And he was also a business owner, and he he took the opportunity to give me some very nice business advice, uh, <laughs> you know, about how he runs his business. I said, well, yeah, okay. Yep. And then we had one couple. They had been driving all day, and they were hangry, and, you know, I think the wait time was a few minutes longer than I had, had told them. So, you know, just little things like that, right? And we try to we try to avoid that. But, but you seem to have the perfect temperament for it. Well, I, yeah, I don't know. You're not playing awake at night, uh, you know, sweating it off, and you're doing the best you can. And Yeah, we try. You know, I mean, uh, you, you, that's right. You can only – we can always learn, right? We can always learn and always try to do better. But I also – I don't hold myself to such a standard that, you know, I, I uh, you know, going to go home and cry if, if, if I make a mistake, right? We, we used to have a saying in our – in our other business, you know, we reserve the right to be smarter tomorrow than we are today. And so we, we take something away from it. And I always respect that, you know, if somebody's upset about something, that's their current reality. Um, and, you know, we'll work through it, right? Yeah. But I, I also, I'll be honest with you, if somebody, we had one or two customers who, you know, they were upset about the weight and they got a little, a little bit crappy with me and I, and I gave it right back to them. And I said, look, this is not how it's going to go. You know, you're not, the customer's not always right. So uh, we're going to do our best, and if you want some food, we'll work through that. And if not, you know, maybe this isn't your preferred option. Yeah. I don't know. You know, <laughs> we're not we're not doormats. <laughs> no, yeah, you don't want to be a doormat. Yeah. Because yeah. then everyone's just going to complain, and 
Oh, Who knows well. where that will go? Well, I hope. Well, gonna, it's going to be like the soup Nazi. Say, there you go. No pad Thai for you. Love that. Exactly. You yeah. should work on the voice. Right. So you know, I mean, as to your initial question, um, no, I mean, if people people love pad Thai, and you know, I think Pam's Pam's desire is to help and and make it safe for people to get a little deeper into the menu and try maybe some things that they haven't tried before that they might really really love. Um, you know, and, and I'll tell you, like pad Thai is not my favorite. Um, you know, it's a little sweet and the, and the, you know, but people love it. Right. But there's good. Yeah. yeah, And, and that's, that's cool. You know, um, it's, it sometimes Pam only makes so many of them because it it takes a long time to make actually, you know, and that's really the only kind of downside for us to to stir fry and cook the noodles. It kind of, and so sometimes the problem, if we get like 10 pad ties in a row, it's just, it's like a train wreck, you know, <laughs> and, it, and it just keeps cascading, right? And then it's not a good thing, so. Yeah. But what are you guys doing now? Are you, are you closed up for the winter? Yeah, yeah. We we uh, we, we finished up in November, and then we, we've taken a few months off to kind of get, get caught up and travel around a little bit. And then actually just today, we we went out and uh, started to get the trailer ready to go, so we'll We'll oh. get some days on the calendar in March, and uh, so you'll be back up and running in March. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Anywhere you can share yet that you know where you're going to be? Well, I don't. I I don't have. Uh, How do you no. do your scheduling? Is yeah. it just where you want to be, or you <laughs> see who requests you? How does that all work for yeah. your your that's, lifestyle? That's the hard part. That's that's one of the hardest parts, particularly for me, because again, you know, we are so focused on the community, and and when we started the business, one of the things that really was exciting to us is that we could. We could partner. We saw a need, right? You know, the wineries would like to have food, so people hang out, and you know, they don't feel like, oh, I'm, I'm hungry, I'm gonna gonna leave. So we've always viewed our business as an opportunity to partner with the other local businesses to kind of bring them more and and solve some of their their problems. So I always want to say yes, you know, and we have such we're we're so grateful for the relationships that we have with the with the local wineries and businesses and things so it it can be very hard because we we kind of try to put a schedule together that's that's rational for us that's not going to make Pam crazy um you know uh, and the first year we just said yes to everything um you know I think that's what you do when you're not sure you're like yeah and the second year we kind of tried to get a little bit more rational, but that meant saying no to some people or not doing as many dates as we might like at, at some of those businesses. So, you know, this year we're really trying to take it the, to the next level and we're, we're trying to, to keep a very kind of um, specific set schedule that we can, you know, plan on. We can make sure that one of the biggest things is getting help, having somebody, you know, reliable people to help Pam. And when our schedule's all over the place, it's hard to find somebody that can kind of can make that work and, and, and know what they can can count on. So, yeah, so we're, we we keep trying to get get better at it. You know, every year I'd I say we're going to do it better. And I, th- I think we I think in some regards we have, but it's it's a it's a big challenge. But are you going to do five days a week? Do you do two days a week? No, you... yeah. I mean, five days a week is, is crazy because, you know, we have an extra prep day and stuff, and it's just it's just too much. Yeah. It's too much. So I think we'll probably shoot this year for between three and four days a week, which is about what we did last year. Usually um, Thursday through Sunday, I'm guessing. Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that yet. We haven't fully decided. Okay. I, I think right now it it will probably be – Wednesday through, and I'm, you're, nobody else knows this, but Wednesday through Friday, I think, and then maybe some some uh, some things on the weekend, maybe some Saturdays and Sundays and, and things like that. But, you know, it, it the hard part for us, one of the hard parts is that, you know, we it, we start something and it's really 
popular and then it gets kind of too big right and and then we're like oh gosh you know we don't we don't want everybody to feel like they have to come out on a specific night or they're going to miss out so that so we've we've kind of our, our business i guess it's kind of coming full circle we started at the farmer's market in palisade and then the next year when we had the truck we were you know we'd go to monumental or base camp two days a week and we, we were just hustling the whole time you know yeah. building up that, that that client base and then you know last year we tried to bring it back more to palisade um and then this year we're really going to just just try to have a kind of a, a focused schedule so people don't feel like they have to come on a specific day or that they're going to miss out, you know. So but all in Palisade, you're trying to do 100% in Palisade, yeah. We don't, we don't have any dates um, scheduled or contemplated outside of Palisade. So, and, and last year, we, we only did five days in Grand Junction. Everything else was in Palisade. That's so. amazing. Yeah, it, was, it it is. It's really cool for us, I think, you know. I think the hardest part with scheduling would be something you touched on. You want to work with local businesses and you develop relationships with them, but you also have to make sure that going there is going to be worth your while. Because if you roll sure. up to Winery XYZ and there's 10 people there all day, that's not worth your time. Right. So how do you kind of project how many people, you know, how do you factor that? Do you factor that into your decision? Well, um, we, we do, of course, you know, um, and it's hard. You're right. There are some wineries where we're very busy and others where we're, um, you know, maybe a little bit less busy here and there, but it, it's also, you never know. Like sometimes we'll think, ah, oh, it might be a little slow today and, it, and it's crazy. So it's, it's kind of situational, but you know, we, we're very fortunate in that we're pretty much on our worst day busy enough to make it worth our while. Um, I can say, you know, in the whole time we've been in business, I think we've done, maybe two events where we'd look at each other and say, wow, that really probably wasn't really worth our time. You know what I mean? That's incredible. It, so you're the draw. It is. So when you say we're going to a winery, well, you have a, a people who say, well, let's go to that winery today. Well, well we hope so, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we hope that it's it's symbiotic in a good way, that we bring people and that the winery bring, brings people. And, and between the two, you know, we both make more than it's a force multiplier, right? But um, yeah, so I mean, generally we, we have a pretty strong following and and, uh, and, uh, and so we're lucky when we go places. I mean, harder, harder you work, the luckier you get. Right. But we're, we're fortunate when we go places that, um, that we'll draw people in. But that being said, you know, for us, it's kind of more about kind of that sweet spot. We never want to just be crushed because it's too stressful, you know, and, 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 and it's just too much. And we never want to be on an hour long wait and people are getting hangry. You know, we want to keep it in that sweet spot where we can be like a, 30 minute wait at max we can be busy enough we can sell out and and go home right um so that's we're kind of we always are kind of trying to thread that needle and honestly if, if we go to a winery that you know has been a good partner to us um and we're a little bit slower than normal that's fine because you know a core part of our business is is to work with the other businesses in the community and so we can check that box right and we'll say well we'll come back at it next week and you know I'm, I'm sure we'll be crazy busy one day you know so um is there an expectation sometimes from your clients like oh pally ties coming so they're going to bring all these people to the winery right like do you you guys ever get that where the people that are hosting you expect you to bring all these people and there's that kind of extra pressure on you it's like oh well when we show up i hope our fans follow us because otherwise the winery is going to think we suck and then we're yeah. not drawing people man i i hope that that's the expectation right if that's the expectation then we've we've done our job because th that's what i want i want them to think they you know there's there's 
any number of food trucks that they can call, and, and some of them with very good food, right? And, and so we want to be the food truck that brings good food and that brings extra people to their business because that's, that's how we're going to be successful. Um, I, I never want to be, and I tell everybody, anybody that listen to me about this, I never want to be the food truck that shows up and says, where are all your customers? I wanted, you know, just showed up to sell food to your customers, right? And, and some of the wineries have actually told us stories about, you know, food trucks who maybe came and it was slow in the afternoon and they just packed up and left. And, and that's just not our model. You know, if we say we're going to be here until a certain time, then we're going to be there, right? That's, that's kind of an important part of our business. So I hope that there's an expectation that we'll bring people because that means that we're doing our job and that means that we're helping them be successful. And if we're, you know, our customers are happy and if the places where we're parking, you know, we're bringing them more business, then I think we're, we're kind of checking all the boxes, right? If we show up and it's a slow day, I mean, I've, I've never had any winery look at me and say, wow, you guys, your customers really didn't come out for you today. You must be <laughs> slipping, you know? I mean, the, the thing is like in the summer, it's so weird. And I, and I still don't have it figured out, but you know, we used to, I used to in particular, cause I'm kind of an analytical guy. I used to think, okay, this weekend, this is this and this is going on. I think it's going to be really busy. And, you know, we'd show up and it's, it's slower than normal. And we're like, oh yeah, I guess in retrospect, that's cause it's a long holiday weekend and everybody left town, but there's holiday weekends when people stay in town. So it's like, you know, you, you can get, and finally I just said, it really doesn't matter. Like we're going to just show up and work. Like, you know, and, and, and so we, we stopped pulling our hair out over that. But I feel like, you know, if it's slower than, than normal, you know, the winery is probably slower than normal too. And we kind of look at each other and say, oh, well, what do we need to do differently next time to maybe bring some more people in? Or maybe it's just a slow day, you know, and maybe the weather was crappy or it was windy or, you know, whether maybe the, during Country Jam, everybody wanted to go over there. So I, you know. That's so, such a healthy, confident perspective that you have in terms of, accepting that pressure and actually thriving on it. I think that's so healthy. Well, I think, you know, I, I think the way it, if we're, if we're doing what we need to do and, 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 and the business model is working, then, you know, if we show up one day and, and something's off, if, if there's nothing, if we can't look at each other and it's just Pam and I. So if we can't look at each other and say, oh, we really messed this up, then, you know, then, then just stick with what's working. Right. And, and don't try to overthink it. I, I think, right? How do you guys manage how much you bring? I know a lot of times you go to, you sell out, and you often sell out. Yeah, yeah so for us, it's pretty easy. We, we, we bring as much as we can every day um, because we usually, you know, because we usually sell out. Our, our trailer is, is too small, <laughs> really, you know. So we, I mean, Pam packs every inch of the trailer that she can. And, you know, um, you know most days, as, as you know, if people show up, so often we're so grateful for it, but they show up late. And if we're out of something, I go down the list and they, you know, finally look at me and say, well, what can you make? And I tell them and they say, oh, that sounds good. Give That's it. Julie and I. We never get the appetizers yeah. every time we come because we're always late. We're like, oh, the spring rolls. No. Nope. Nope. Oh, the nope. shrimp. No. Nope. <laughs> nope. Yeah. So Excuse it's, me. you know, for us, it's um, as long as we bring, we, we bring as much as we can and, you know, hopefully we sell out and, and luckily, you know, if not, it, it keeps and, and, you know, like the meat and stuff, we can, we can, then the veggies, we can sell the next day. Um, so, you know, Pam is really, really great at, main, you know, managing food costs and, and, and whatnot. So um, it would, it would be a bigger problem for us if we had a bigger trailer because, you know, then you, you never want to bring so much that you, you, you're taking a ton of food home. But, you know, it's, that's kind of our, we keep it simple. That makes sense. <laughs> Have you done any business or parked at the food truck 
Park Street Eats. Street Eats, yeah, sorry. I was yeah. blanking on the name there. You know, we Have did, you been to Palisade Street Eats? We, yeah, right. We did once. We did their grand opening with Nate and Karina when they, uh, when they first got it up and going. But, you know, um, by the time uh, that that they uh, had had gotten it all permitted and everything we pretty much had our our summer schedule locked down and it was you know kind of uh at a point where uh, you know Karina had said um you know we'd love to have you guys for one day a week and I said oh gosh you know yeah but we uh w- we couldn't really afford to add another day um and and again um it 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 isn't a hundred percent of a fit with our model only because you know part of our model is to make sure that we're or our model up to this point has been to make sure that we're somewhere where we are adding to someone else's business in town so at a winery spoken vine you know that they're making they're bringing people in to buy drinks so it's adding to their bottom line and their business that's been a core kind of a core principle of ours just because we want to support uh, the other businesses in town that we that we value um, to the extent that we can, and you know, at Street Eats, it, it's kind of more like a, if if you need a place to park, and, and I don't think they're they're really not even functioning functioning anymore. I was going to ask you, you'd be the person to know. I haven't heard anything about it. Yeah, and well, since last they, year it didn't really seem to function yeah, that often. They had some people there, and then I think you know Nate and 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 uh, Karina sold it, um, and the new owners. I'm I'm not sure what they're what they're doing with it, but there's there's not any food trucks on it currently. I haven't heard anything about it. Yeah, no, I on. I mean, I don't. No, we're not 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 tied into that. Well, if you haven't heard about it, then probably no one has. Cause. Right, <laughs> and you know, for us, it's it it's probably um it's a it's a okay place for people if they don't have an, a a place to park in Palisade, right? It, it kind of provided that service, but we uh, we have a lot of options. Um, you know, uh, of places to park on any given day. So that wasn't, that was never, a, uh, didn't ever solve a, a problem for us, but. Yeah. But, I, I liked the idea of it when it, when yeah. I first heard of it, because people are biking around, it's someplace you can go, you could bring your own beer or wine if you want. Yeah. A lot of options if people wanted different things. I don't know why it never took off. I never got a feel for it. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. Um, I don't know. We, you know, we really like Snook's Bottom uh, barbecue. So for us, selfishly, it was nice because they're kind of just around the corner from our house there a little bit. So we could go get some food and, and uh, Sedona, uh, Lily Pearls, you know, she makes them great breakfasts and, and lunches. So it, you know, selfishly for us, it was great. Um, it, it's hard to say, you know, a, a million could be a million different things, but like, yeah, I, we don't need to speculate. I just right. was surprised that it didn't take off and I wonder if they'll give it another go. Because I think, in theory, it's a cool idea. I mean, it's a little outside of the downtown. They would really have to nail the marketing. But you could make it a fun place if you had live music and you had something going on. Right. That yeah. people on a – I mean, the summertime here is popping, as you know. Well, that's and that's the thing. You know, I think it, it might provide a venue for folks who want to just be here in the summer, which, um, you know, hey – we have to understand it's a, it's a tourist town. Some people are going to be here to to uh, to to partake in that in that you know tourist dollar, and then they're not going to be here in the winter. And that's you know that's how life works, that's right? That's the way it is. <laughs> so tell us about your upcoming plans because I think it's an open secret now that you have purchased the property across from the Colorado Weedery, right? And yeah. there used to be a house on there, and right. I saw you out there one day with your little backhoe or whatever it was and you demolished the whole thing yeah so yeah. some people may have noticed there's no longer a house there no 
So what's your plan with that, there, and what, what have you been up to? Yeah, there is a, a huge tree stump, which is free to a good home, if anybody <laughs> All you that. folks with wood-burning <laughs> fireplaces, right, come yeah. get it. But, uh, yeah, so we, we, had to, we did buy that. Uh, we actually bought it almost two years ago now. Uh, we had an opportunity, and we felt like that location was just, uh, it was just too great to, to pass up. And uh, so we jumped on that. And um, we kind of, we were, we thought we probably would have to take that building down. Um, you know, we had some probably some some sort of aspirational, you know, hope over logic thoughts that maybe we could remodel it. Because honestly, uh, part of what drew us to that is the style of the building, you know, with the metal siding, metal roof, very traditional Thai kind of um, thing building that you would see in rural Thailand that, you know, could be anything, you know, from a could be a house or you know it could be a small restaurant it could be anything and so um we really like the aesthetic but unfortunately because of kind of the way that that property had been zoned and used um that that building in order for us to to turn it back into a commercial building we would have really had to uh replace everything from the foundation up so it just didn't make sense and then it, we would have kind of been stuck in that small footprint and there were some other issues with part of the building, which was on the town's right of way. The town at any time could have said, hey, um, we're going to widen this street. You got to take the building down. So it, it had a lot of problems, which we were fully aware of. So, so yeah, our, you know, our ultimate goal has always been to put a, a full brick and mortar restaurant um, on that property. Um, that was the goal when we bought the property. And, and that still is sort of the long-term goal. Um, but as they say, you know, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face, right? So, uh, with Mike interest Tyson. rates, yeah, right. <laughs> so with interest rates the way they are, I told that joke at Palisade High School. We did like a little talk to the kids, and you I did? Th- yeah, we did like a little, you know, like a food truck uh, thing for their uh, for their culinary program. And I told that joke to like four classes in a row, and they all looked at me like I was just nobody got from, it. The, from Mars. They're like, huh, <laughs> they're too young. I don't get. It. I, I think I think I don't think they got a single one of my jokes, but I kept I kept trying. You kept trying. I, yeah, four times in a row. That's kind of cool. Did you bring the food truck there to show them? We did. Yeah, uh, we took the food truck, and yeah, they were cool. It was yeah, it was fun. They you know asked cool questions, and I don't think any of them are going to grow up to be food truck operators, but you know, you may have inspired right. many of them. Yeah, well, you know, I I don't know maybe. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? But yeah, it was cool. Yeah, they were great. It was really neat. But um, yeah. So we uh, we kind of we have kind of a, a plan um, drawn up, and you know, when the time is right, we'll we'll look to kind of pull the trigger on that. But I, I you know, I, as I told you earlier, I, I'm pretty conservative when it comes to to, to building the business out, and um, kind of I'm at a point in my life where I don't want to make the big move and kind of mess up all the all the savings and you know uh, planning that that have gone into getting to where we are currently so we're, we're we're becoming a little bit less you know or a little bit more risk averse right so so i think as we kind of continue with the business model there's a few things that we want to sort of um continue to fine-tune this year and see if we can really get um I, i'm probably the most pressing of which is to find um uh, quality help for Pam, you know, somebody we can really count on and, and, and that'll, you know, that's a problem that we need to solve or, uh, you know, an opportunity, um, just, just in general so that we can, you know, have, uh, uh, so, so the wait times aren't quite as long. We, we recognize that that, you know, um, uh, that's an area where we can improve. So I want to kind of solve a couple of those things, see if maybe it becomes slightly more affordable. And then, you know, the cool thing is like we have options, like we're moving towards options. We own the lot. 
we have a solid business with the food truck. We have a couple little things that we can kind of tweak to to make it more um, uh, more, I guess, balanced on a day-to-day basis, right? And once we solve those kind of issues, I think that'll kind of naturally move us into that progression where we might be ready to go on with the, the, the full-on restaurant, you know. So we won't be seeing that this summer, no construction this no, summer. No, I don't, well, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so, not not yet. But, you know, even the, the timeline, it, it's hard to say. Like, it's it's an option, and when the time is right, then we'll be ready to go. And, I, you know, I, I couldn't tell you that there's the exact um, formula for when that's going to be, but... Yeah. yeah. Have you thought about just renting a space that's already kind of outfitted? Yeah. Or is that you know, just too much of a it's kind of a, dive for restaurants? It's a non-starter for me. I mean, part of the business, part of part of the, you know, the, the thought is we've just known so many people that put restaurants into, into buildings that they didn't own. And it's always the same situation. The landlord's so happy the day you sign the lease. And then once they say, oh, it looks like you're doing really well. I'm going to have to up the rent. And, you know, then it's you're, you're kind of in that purgatory where like, oh, are we going to move? Are we going to deal with this? And and the other thing is, I, I think generally anything that really is available, you, you got to put a lot of money into, uh, you know, to, to, to get it up to your standard and whatnot. And that's just not, at the end of the day, that's just not where where I want to put the time and effort, you know, for, for me, I, I, I want for us to be in, in full control of what we have. And, and then I guess, you know, the, the final other thing that I'll say on that, on that point is that we really want the restaurant to reflect our business and our brand. And we want it to be something very special that, that serves the community and not just, uh, Oh, this, this place was available. So we, you know, we, we filed a lease and, you know, we're going to, going to do that. That wouldn't be, um, as rewarding for us, you know what I mean? Fair enough. Which means yeah. we might have to wait a little bit longer, right? And 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 might cost a little bit more, but I I think it will allow us to build, to to build the business into something that it really satisfies the vision that we kind of started out with. Yeah, well, and you're not that old. It's not like you've been doing this so long. You're right. only, this will be what your third full year. Right. Yeah. So it's yeah. not like it's oh man, we've been at this ten years and you know. It's time right. for an upgrade. You guys are working towards it and doing it in the right steps, which I think is very, I'm the same way business-wise. Yeah. Any kind of uh, big investment or big loan, it just gives me so much anxiety. I know a lot of businesses have to do it or can stomach it, but I've never been able to do it. I like to just kind of have that gradual growth, reinvest right. when it seems appropriate, but have the ability to walk away. I mean, you you guys, like you said, you already left your job. You like you guys like to travel. Yeah. You could move back to Thailand. You could do whatever you wanted. And once you start really getting invested in one thing, that's the thing with life, right? You have to invest in certain things to bear the fruit, but the courage comes in knowing when to walk away. Yeah. Yeah. And, and really for me, it's always been about trying to leave that exit open as much as possible. I'm fully committed to what I'm doing, but just leave that door a little cracked because when it's time to walk away, if you don't walk away, you're going to be unhappy. Right. And now you're stuck in this unhappiness. And then your product's not going to be as fun or cool because you're not happy doing it. Yep. And I think some of the most courageous people know when to walk away, even when everyone's like, I can't believe you just, or wow, that failed, I guess, huh? It's like, no, it didn't. It's just, I'm different now. I want to do something else. Right. You can't back yourself into the wrong corner and thinking that you're doing the right thing. And and a thousand percent, you know, we, we love this business we love the community, the reaction from the community. The, I mean, it's just been 
it's just so it, it so reinforces us you know when people come and they show how much they love the product and and we see people that we care about that are neighbors and we're bringing something to the, to the town it's so rewarding but you know a restaurant is a hard thing right and it's you know every day is not going to be just amazing you know poppy fields and rainbows and um you know so that's an important thing for us and and that's why to my earlier point I want to make sure that we can solve some of those more thorny issues that cause us a lot of stress before we try to grow, right? Because then we're just going to grow that problem and it's going to be worse. And then to your point, you wake up, you know, like it used to be when I was in corporate America and, you know, say, oh, all right, here we go. We can get through this one more day, right? Yeah. We don't want to get there. We want to enjoy it. We want to love it. And uh, and it takes, take, we got to take the right steps to build it, so. Yeah, sounds yeah. like you guys are. Let's well, I hope so. I, you know, <laughs> history, now, I, history will tell. <laughs> have you guys gone back to Thailand on some research trips? And gosh, yeah. Every we, time you go to Thailand, it's a business write-off, I guess. Well, yeah, nice. I, you've obviously not met uh, our CPA, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> he doesn't agree. What? Well, she uh, maybe I don't know. She might, but she's as she's, long as you eat one meal while you're over there and right. bring it back and put it on the menu. I say write the whole thing off. I know. I'm, I'm gonna put you in touch with her. Yeah, <laughs> she's funny. We have long discussions about well no they're not very long because she just tells me the answer but um <laughs> we have been back to thailand um we went last winter uh pam went for three months to spend time with the family and i i was there for about six weeks so uh, yeah it's um now what part of thailand is she from so she's from kind of the eastern uh part right by um cambodia um so her um her town or village is is right by the Cambodian border with uh with Pui Pet and then Aranapatet is her uh is her area. So it's fairly rural. It's not not a lot of tourism necessarily. It's pretty much, you know, rice fields and and um you know other agriculture and, and stuff. But uh yeah. It must be beautiful. They have the terrace rice fields there? It is beautiful. Not terrace. It's it's pretty, it's kind of plains, kind of flat. So, but uh, it is beautiful. And her, her dad is a rice farmer. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's really neat. It's, it's really beautiful to go places where you're, you know, so off the beaten path and, and just, you know, enjoy. Just, Do you speak just be. No, I, I, you know, I wish I, I wish I did in some respects, but I tell everybody, if I learn how to speak Thai, then Pam's not going to be able to make fun of me. So uh, it's a very hard language. I, you know, I, I mean, imagine so. people, people do learn it, but I'm not one of them. I, I, it's not for lack of trying. Um, so yeah, which I think you know, Pam kind of maybe had some, some aspirations early on that I might, you know, she would she would try to take steps to teach me, and then at some point I think she realized that it was it wasn't going. It was not a good use of her, of her resources. So. No, and, and, you know, her family doesn't really speak English. Her I was just going to ask you. Her sister yeah. does, um, you know, and, and so that that can be a challenge after, you know, three or four weeks. And uh, Yeah, do you, how do you connect with her parents? Yeah. Do um, you? You know, I, I, <laughs> I really, you know, I mean, through Pam, we'll translate occasionally. Uh, otherwise, you know, it's just we just kind of coexist, and I don't have to worry about saying anything stupid. 
because um, yeah. you know Pam translates for me, so you know she makes she sure. puts the filter on it. Yeah, she she tidies everything up for me. But you never get any questions like, "What are your intentions with my dog?" Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> no. just cruising. No, yeah, or if I do, I don't even know it. She already she just probably answers for me. So, no, it's it's funny, man. There's been a couple funny funny little things. We'll be at her, her parents' house, and they have the the house that's in the village. Her her dad, you know, like I mentioned, her her grandparents kind of homesteaded for lack of a different term kind of the whole area and so and then her her grandparents had seven kids and each of them got a, a you know a, a piece of that um you know the the property or the, the rice fields or whatever that they work still some of them and some of you know sold whatever and then so they have their house which uh, her dad pretty much built from an old um rice drying shack you know over the last 50 years and now and now it's a you know modern four bedroom two bedroom bathroom house in the middle of the village and so now her parents Pam has helped them to buy some other property to do a, a fruit orchard um, just outside of town and so her dad spends most of his time out there that's where he's the happiest and he's you know he's got a little shack out there and 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 whatnot and he he loves it there you know he'll go work and, and nap but um yeah one day um one day Pam had gone to the market in the morning and it was just me and, and, and Pam's mom at the house. And I was going to go out to the, to the farm and help her dad with some irrigation stuff that I was working on while we were there. And so I used the Google translate, right? And I, I asked, okay, can I borrow the, 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 the moped for an hour? Because they have a little moped. It's only eight minutes from the house to the farm, to the new farm. And I said, can I borrow the moped for an hour? And she looked at me and she was just confused and scared and, and she, grabbed her phone and called Pam and the talking, talking, talking. And then she, she said, where, where do you want to go for an hour? Where are you going to drive for an hour? My mom's worried the scooter won't make it that far. So, you know, like <laughs> yeah. it's just the translation. I was like, no, I'm just, I'm just going down the road, but it's going to take an hour. So, you know, yeah, we don't, uh, keeps you on your toes. Yeah. It's interesting, man. It must like, be interesting to hang out with someone and not really say anything though. There must be some joy or value in that because, yeah. You're not caught up in small talk or anything. You're just kind of with each other. But yeah. as you say, for well, six weeks, it's just an interesting experiment. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, it it is. And, you know, when I'm out at the at the farm with her dad helping, I, I think I'm helping. He probably thinks I'm just annoying. But, you know, I like to build stuff. That's what I do. I, like, I love to build and fix. And so, you know, building pumps and, you know, drip irrigation systems for the farm. Like I'm never happier, right? Like whether I'm doing that here or I'm doing it there. You can come over to my house if you want. Oh, I'll man, make you yeah. really happy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, uh, it, it's, uh, it's just, it brings me joy, but you know, yeah, all day we just kind of, I point and, you know, motion and it's like, uh, you know, playing charades all day long, you know, and, and eventually maybe I'll break down and try to use Google translate, but you know, it, it, it's not all great, you know, after like three or four or five weeks of sitting around tables full of Thai people who don't speak any English and, you know, asking Pam, oh, what did, what did he say? What did she say? What did he say? <laughs> and she's just like, it doesn't, like, I'm not going to translate every word for you. Like, either learn to speak Thai or, or just sit there. And I'm like, I, you know, I guess that's fair, right? Like, <laughs> I, like we're in Thailand. What is, you know, yeah, yeah. it's not their fault I don't speak Thai. 100%. So, uh, so you know, it, it could be kind of solitary, even though you're around other people in that way. Yeah. But it's, you know, you just kind of have to, you know. Yeah, I'm just trying to think. Like, I guess I would want to try and connect with my girlfriend's parents. Sure. And be like, I want to get to know you because I want to know like 
why Pam is the way she is and how, what does she get from you? And I'm sure you can see a lot of that without understanding, but yeah, without the vocal yeah. communication, that's more difficult. No, I mean, I, I would, I would love to, because I'm, I'm a, I'm a naturally curious person and, you know, I, I want to know mostly, you know, for me, it would be about hearing about how they grew up, right? Like knowing how, you know, they just, just, just growing up in that environment is, is, is always so amazing to me because, you know, just the, the history of, of how they kind of evolved there and, and things. But, you know, man, it's, it's a hard thing. It's a hard language. I, I wish I were better at it. Um, but I've, I've just, I just, I have to accept my shortcomings, you know. Is her mom a really good cook? Is that where Pam gets it from? Do you, yeah, you I eat think pretty well when you're over there, I'm guessing? Yeah, her mom is. Her grandmother uh, was, you know, uh, in particular. So, you know, I think, um, I, I think in rural Thailand, you kind of, I mean, learning to cook is not really even something people would say they, they did. You, you just have to, right? There's no McDonald's. And, and particularly when they grew up, they, they lived off the land. We were just talking the other day we were watching a program where they were the guys were talking about eating frogs and how it just used to be very common in thailand you'd go to the fields and you'd catch frogs and you'd eat them you know now if you eat frogs in bangkok people are like oh my goodness <laughs> so um you know i i think you learned to, you learned to cook and in particular I, I think what pam really learned was to have a really which i think is i'm no expert on this but i think she really learned how to taste and how to understand flavors and sweet, spicy, you know, um, savory flavors. Because I'll tell you, Pam can make the best guacamole out of anybody ever at any restaurant because she, she, she understands how to season things well. So I think that's the kind of the gift. And then, you know, you kind of start to put that together with other things. But her mother still cooks, I mean, very traditionally. Um, every morning she wakes up at probably 5 or 5.30 and starts a clay pot with charcoal and makes a traditional Thai breakfast over an open flame really? in her outside kitchen. It's, yeah. So That's pretty cool. It's very cool. What does she make? What's a traditional Thai breakfast? It's, it's congee. Uh, congee. So it's rice soup, rice soup, yeah, with either chicken or fish or whatever. Generally, as Pam would explain it, whatever was left over from dinner the night before. Throw it in. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of how Are she... you the only American white person in this village? Generally, yeah, yeah, I get get a lot of looks. They call they call the um, the the foreigners farong, 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 yeah. Farang. And it's it's not a pejorative term; it's just a descriptive term. But yeah, yeah. Do I you go so. drink with the old men? Go sit at the bar and. Well, yeah, they don't really have a bar in her village, but you know, um, in in Thailand, it's it's it at different times. It's very uh, traditional to kind of hang out at somebody's house and have some beers, and of course. You know, uh, in this in Pam's village, you know, she, her family is related to most of the people around. It's you know, so uh, yeah, they'll go over to like an aunt or uncle's house and have some have some beers, or over to her one of her cousins' places, and you know, I'll drink some beers and they'll talk and laugh. I mean, that's a very traditional Thai thing to do. They 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 enjoy laughing a lot, you know, and they land laugh. Land of smiles, right? They, yeah, land of yeah. Isn't that what it's called? Yeah, Little land slowly. of a thousand smiles. Yeah, thousand they laugh very smiles. easily. So, and I'll sit there and drink and say gosh i really should learn how to speak thai next time one of the things that <laughs> struck me about thailand when i first went uh, i was traveling through southeast asia and sort of just getting to know the area the region and all the countries and there's such a difference in thailand as compared to say malaysia because of the religion yeah and you have the split of buddhist countries such mm -hmm. as thailand yep. or the muslim, muslim countries, countries yeah and 
nothing uh, we could talk about the religion but just the way that manifests in society and the way people their personality shows through that yeah i found people in malaysia were so sweet but they weren't as confident or outgoing or direct with you and then you go over to thailand and everybody's just smiling and all just it just especially women were seemed like more they had their own personalities and they were more independent yeah. than some of the other muslim countries there Have yeah and I, you know i haven't traveled in malaysia so i i, I probably um I, I can't speak to that but i can certainly speak to you know the the people of thailand and, and i think you know uh, uh, you're on to something because i think a lot of it is the the buddhist influence um you know which is very collective um which is the thing that i absolutely love about it you know it's uh there's always a there's there's kind of i mean of course it's no society is a monolith right but you know the the buddhist principles shine through in that you know the the families all help the families or the the neighborhoods or the communities that there's a, a huge um, priority put on on that level of collective effort and compassion which is really i think um which is really great to be around, you know, and yeah, I think people, uh, one thing, I, you know, I love it when I, we're just in Pam's village and I can just grab the scooter and, you know, zip off to her cousin, you know, has a convenience store at the, it's very close to the house, but, you know, I can go over there and grab a beer or there's a little teeny tiny hardware store. It's just a, you know, there's nothing like a hardware store, but it's, they have bits and bots, you know, for irrigation. And I can go over there and they're always very friendly and they're like, oh, there's that crazy farong <laughs> working on something, you know? Yeah. Um, so it, 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 it affords sort of a level of, of freedom, you know, in a place where it's very foreign to you, but still where you can feel very comfortable and uh, it's beautiful, you know. Have you gotten into Buddhism as a religion at all? No, I really haven't. You know, Pam is Buddhist, you know, and I, I, I love that aspect about her um but i you know i we go to the temples and things but you know i'm not uh i've never in my life had a a a, a big spot that needed to be filled with religion but you know i res i respect hers and I, I i enjoy the 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 teachings of, of buddhism but i haven't i'm not going to tell you i dug into it at yeah. any specificity you know what i mean i enjoy it just because there's no deity yeah, right. It's really a self-improvement method. Right. Like you are the deity and it's a just kind of about self-improvement, right. self-worship. Yeah. It's very in inward looking. Yeah. Right? yeah which, which is cool because every other religion asks you to worship something outside right. yourself. Right. And say, oh, you're inferior to this, so worship it and behave or else. Right. And Buddhism is the complete opposite of that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a study about yourself, right? Mastering yourself, yeah. So yeah, I, and the I appreciate whole that eightfold too. path just is about, like you said, creating that communal. It's like there are instructions, but it's more of like, hey, if you behave this way, you're gonna like your entire self is gonna be better. It's not out of fear of like, if you break one of these commandments, you're you know right. screwed. It's more of like, hey, like think about behaving this way, and most of them are about looking at yourself and how you how your actions make you feel, right. And then in turn, how those actions affect people around you. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. I, you know, I think, I, I think if I were a person who were um, inclined to invest time in, <laughs> in that, I, I would definitely be drawn to Buddhism. And, and, you know, I think, I think it is a, 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 a mostly judging from, and Pam's not like super, you know, she, she, you know, she's Buddhist and, you know, if we go by a temple, she will definitely, you know, show her respects and we'll go to temples and her family, you know, they definitely participate, you know, quite a lot. But, um, 
you know, I, I think I could be drawn to it for sure. So your calmness doesn't come from your daily meditations? No, my calmness comes from, from being a lunatic for the first 45 years of my life, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, motorcycle riding, plane, Burning out. plane well, were just, you a pilot or you just worked on planes? Well, mostly just, you know, in, in my business environment, just charging, charging hard. That's what I mean. But yeah, no, I, I work for a, a company that built aircraft um, down in Denver and I loved it. I was very fortunate, just stupid, lucky to get in very early and, and work very hard um, with some friends. I've, I've taken a lot of um, uh, flight training and I was just about ready to take my check ride, but I, I didn't, I didn't do it for whatever reason so you didn't it, do it i didn't do it no i i don't know maybe i think i had like i had like fear i wouldn't pass it and so i kind of put it off and put it off i have ah. a, and then you know now it's like yeah does it reset or can you just go take it i mean certain no certain certain things i would have to take my written exam again which wouldn't be a big a big deal but uh you know then just being up to up to speed with your skills practicing mostly you know but yeah. uh, it's kind of important to know what you're doing right and, and you know for me it was like i always i always really enjoyed going and flying and i always felt like if once i took my check ride then i would kind of have to do it to stay to stay current right and and i kind of thought huh? I, I just kind of like to go fly you know like uh, so i don't know it was probably a strange situation but I, I was so fortunate at the airplane company to uh to get to spend time around airplanes and build airplanes and work with people who were who were just really cool people really great people and uh, really amazing test pilots and friends and uh, it was like kind of being a kid in a candy store for 10 years um, so yeah that was fantastic that was that was the best job I ever had. Really? Yeah. Oh man, hands down. I've had some bad ones, so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was it was amazing. It was great. So you ride motorcycles. You used to work on planes, and yeah. then you were telling me you just took this long train trip. Yeah, we took a little train trip. Yeah. Chicago to we Oakland. Went, we went across from Seattle to or from Chicago to uh, Seattle. Chicago yeah. to Seattle, which is like two days or whatever. What do you think of that that uh, that way of travel? It's most people in the U.S. do not travel by train. Right. Yeah, and and you know it's it can be understandable when you if you've traveled on trains in Europe or Asia, so many of them are so nice, yeah. right? Um, More set up for it. Yeah. Um, you know, I love it, man. I'm, I'm kind of a old soul when it comes to equipment and things, you know, we have an antique tractor on our property and I, I just love kind of maybe somewhat the nostalgia of it. Right. And the pace of it really, really clicks. I mean, I, I've spent plenty of time in airplanes flying around the world. Um, you know, as quickly as possible to get somewhere and to do something. And that has its place, you know, and, and I, I love airplanes. So, you know, that, that's fun, but I also love trains and, uh, Pam is, Pam is so great as a travel companion because she is so happy to just experience like, so for us, travel is about an experience. It's not, not, necessarily a destination where you tell, Oh, I went to Aruba, you know, I mean, we like to, to immerse ourselves and just be where we are, wherever that meets us, you know? And so for me, I love taking the train. We've done it before. We took Chicago to, to Grand Junction. We, we did that. And it's, it's just a wonderful way to travel, man. Like once you get in, we get a little, your tiny little sleeper cars about, you know, teeny tiny. And size uh, of this room. Yeah. Oh, not even, I, I wish it's like half. Oh, half wow. the size. Yeah, it's real small. but um, Bunk beds, right? Yeah. Or yeah. I guess if you're getting a single room, would you just have one? Kind of. I think they're all kind of bunk beds. They said maybe they have some, some higher-end ones that that's above our pay grade. But, uh, 
man, it's just, you, you know, you just kind of hang out. You meet some cool people. You actually are forced to sit with other people and eat dinner, which is cool because who knows who it could be. You know, I mean, I won't bore you with the stories of the people we met, but they're people we would never, you know, never meet any in any other environment, you know, and uh, you kind of watch the world go by. And uh, So that route you start in Chicago, it comes right through Junction, doesn't it? Uh, well, if you do the other one, so that, that would be the, the uh, California Zephyr that comes down, down south and goes through Denver and then to Grand Junction and then on to, um, you know, Sacramento or something, I think. Uh, we went, they call it the Empire Builder. It's the northern route. So it goes up through like Minnesota, North Dakota, Montana, Idaho, and across to Seattle. Oh, so. that must have been beautiful. Yeah, it was. It was cool, man. You know, of course, by the time we got to to west or uh, yeah, east or east glacier, it was the sun had set. So we kind of we spent a, a, a fair amount of time staring at the uh, at the fields of North Dakota and uh, eastern Montana. But and then you get into the good stuff, and it's dark. It's dark, yeah. Wow, time to go to bed. Time that better. I know. Well, yeah, you know, but uh, it was, it's still fun. Was man. it Amtrak? It was Amtrak, it was Amtrak. yeah. And yeah, I, I tell everybody, it's not for everybody, you know? I mean, it's not luxury necessarily. Um, you have to be able to kind of unplug and just really um, enjoy being where where you are, enjoy the experience, you know? Do they have a shower in your cabin? You no, know, it's like a community community shower. Yeah. What you was can, that I, like, showering I think you on can, a train? I think you can get a shower in your cabin, but I'm, we're, we're too frugal for that. But... uh. Yeah, it's interesting. It's because like you're wobbling, yeah? It's quite nice, yeah. I yeah. mean, it's it's fine, dude. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, a little bit here and there. You know, you get jostled and whatnot. You got to be gotta be a little careful. But, no, it's it's just nice, man. It's cool. The the Particularly the, the people that work on the train, they're, they're really, you know, kind and just awesome folks, you know, and you kind of get to know them because you spend a few days with them, and they wait on you a couple days in a row, and, and uh, it's just enjoy it you know i think you're onto something because i think air travel is amazing we can get anywhere in the world in essentially less than a day yeah we are just in terms of human history at the pinnacle of i mean this people who lived a thousand years ago would consider this teleportation right you know, being able to get somewhere that quick yeah but you kind of take the travel out of travel nowadays especially yeah. because the airline experience just sucks. Oh, man, yeah. Right? Like, gotten, unless you're in first class, way. like, it sucks. And even if you're in first class, it kind of sucks. Yeah. You're just surrounded by uh, people that are stressed and anxious. and Uncomfortable. And you're just, the whole goal when you get on a plane is to try and pass the time. Is to get off the plane, right? right? Like, so safely. what <laughs> you said about, like, oh, being where yeah. we are and enjoying that journey. Yeah. You don't have that on an airplane. No, you not You really anymore. don't. People put their earphones in and, I mean take an ambient you get drunk yeah. you pass out you watch a movie you're just anything to take your mind off of where you are right and right. that's kind of the that's a crime in a way because when you step back and travel by train you really get a sense of like that just build up into where you're going and you're actually traveling right. and you can meet people during it and yeah interact a train seems like it's easier to talk to people now that like airplane like right. i, I I go through phases. I When I was younger, I used to love talking to people on planes. Yeah. And if the person next to me, I got the sense they didn't want to talk to me, I would try twice as hard. Because <laughs> I'm like, dude, we're sitting next to each other for six hours. It'd be weird if we didn't we're in this know together, each other's huh? life story, right? Oh, God. I'm glad and, I didn't ever have to sit next to you on a plane. Right? No. I'm I mean, kidding. no, during those time, I would. No. And people would come around, and then the time would pass. We'd yeah. actually achieve our goal. You know, yeah. instead of sitting there watching the same movie you've seen 20 times, learn something new or become yeah. friends with someone you end up trading information whatever but then i go through other times where it's just i'm that way i'm like don't talk to me 
Yeah, and I'm the same. I I, I hear you. I, I think during business, you know, traveling so much, I, my head was always in a different space, right? I I didn't always have the I didn't always have the space to to say, gosh, I want to make a connection with this person. I mean, I, I'm kind of that way natively that I want to know about people and I love to talk to people and hear, you know, what they're about, where they're from. But, you know, on a plane, I always kind of felt like, look, man, that we're, this person didn't choose to be here, <laughs> you know, and, and I, I could remember one particular flight where I was, of course, working, I was busy, I was finishing up my school because I, I went back to school and stuff. And so I'm like reading my book and I have my earphones in and I'm in my seat, you know, I'm in my little space, my bubble, and I feel this nudge and I look over and this this little girl. And uh, I said, I took out my earbuds, and she said, "Have you have you found Christ?" Oh God! And I said, oh, I didn't know he was lost, uh, <laughs> but uh, I said, "Well, no, not really. I'm sorry, you know, I'm, that's not really my thing." And she had just been to this Bible camp, right, where she was just ready to like, she needed a, a conversion, like she was all ready to go. So for you know, like two hours. She like wanted to tell me about, you know, all the things. I said, well, that's very nice of you. I, I appreciate that. And, you know, pray for me if you'll be so kind. But uh, <laughs> I got some homework I got to do. Totally. So, you know, it's both ways. But I, I, long, long story longer, you know, I could count on one hand the amount of times. And I remember them vividly where I kind of sat next to somebody on a plane and really connected. And we had an awesome time. And then the flight's over like before you know it, right? Oh, really? Only only. Only a handful, but it, okay. it, it's me probably, right? Because I, you know, I put. You off, have to be open to it. Yeah, I probably put off that to aura, have a like. Drink in you too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. I mean, one time we got up, upgraded to first class and sat next to this guy, and we we had a great time, you know. Um, but yeah. uh, you know, you have to just, have the energy for it. If you're getting on tired, it's like I don't have the energy yeah. to do all this exploration with you next to me and to get past the. To get to to find the interesting thing, right, right. <laughs> well, I think it's yeah. Everybody, you know, it's sort of how this analogy is like a bus stop, right? It's like a high price bus stop. Like nobody's goal is to go sit at the bus stop, right? To your point, you get on the airplane, you're going somewhere. Everyone's going somewhere, and maybe you find a human connection, you know, and and maybe you don't. But I, I kind of, you know, when I was traveling a whole lot, um, I, I like I said, I didn't have, I didn't leave a lot of space for that necessarily, and. You know, occasionally it would, it would creep in, and, and it was really cool. It was really organic, you know, but uh, it wasn't like I was going looking for it. But, yeah, I mean, I, I've i come to hate air travel. I mean, to, just from the second you get to security, and then, you know, it, it's just it's, it's just terrible, right? It's brutal. It's, yeah, the point is to get somewhere fast, and that is absolutely it. I kind of feel like we're being gaslit, honestly, because I read all these stories about how people are behaving horribly on airplanes now. You see all these fights. You see people talking back to flight attendants. And mainstream media writes all these stories about why are passengers so unruly. It's like, well, why do you think? <laughs> Airports have become shopping malls where the whole idea is to overcharge for booze and food and to just maximize that profit. So everybody has a couple drinks before they get on the plane. Everyone's already stressed out. Then they get on the plane. The seats are uncomfortable. Right. The by nature of the design, for you to get comfortable, put your seat back, you have to inconvenience the person right. behind you. Right. Now the person behind you can't work because their laptop doesn't fit. Now they're pissed. It's like, what do you mean? Why are people being unruly? Right. Like everything about the industry has condensed down to just make it a horrible experience. And then they're serving booze. If you sit, did you know that if you sit in the emergency exit row, it's free drinks? Oh, I did not. Yeah. It so, seems counterintuitive to me. But, right. Uh, so, and, yeah. and, and they come up to you before the, the flight, and they look at you, and they say, okay, I need a verbal yes that you're willing and able to assist. And you've looked over the safety information card, and they make this whole spiel about it. Yeah, I used to tell them, I'd say, oh, I look forward to it. 
<laughs> like, like, I'm, like, I'm, I'm if, your man. Yeah, yeah don't worry. I'll be getting out of this thing in the event of an emergency. Yeah, yeah I'm here for you. And then they, they turn around and you take off and they come back to you. Get you loaded, huh? And they, they, they give you free drinks. Yeah. So it just, I mean, it. I just really feel like we're being gaslit a little bit on that. That's not an excuse to like punch someone in the face or to be a jerk. Yeah. But I can understand why people are a bit on edge when yeah. they travel. I, I mean, it's not the golden era of, of aviation, right? We're no. not all on that. What it was the strata line or upstairs at the bar, you know, drinking, uh, you know, martinis or something, right? It's, yeah, it's, it's uncomfortable. So, yeah, it's, but it, it's, you know, we're very fortunate to have it. So, you know, yeah, as I say, it's but, the closest thing yeah. we get to teleportation. Yeah. And if you, you know, you lock 200 people somewhat in any room of that size there's going to be altercations right i mean it's it's probably not unique to an airplane it's just unique to be locked in that space with that many people that you don't know and and who are to your point you know probably not in their their most comfortable that they've ever been so yeah and now with the bag policy everyone's stressed about getting their bag in the overhead (laughs) and then you overpacks then you got this thing at your feet and it's just yeah it's not a recipe but i feel blessed to be able to I mean, you think back 100, yeah. 200 years ago even, you wanted to go to Europe. Yeah, good luck. You'd be on a ship yeah. for a take, month, Take right? the train from Colorado to New York, yeah. then get on a ship, travel over there. I mean, you would need three months to right. go to London. Right. But, you know, I, I think that um, that's part of the appeal for me is to kind of to think about how things used to be and, and, and really enjoy where we are. It may be, Maybe in some small way it helps to appreciate when you are able to get on an airplane and be there in an hour or two, as opposed to three days or whatever, you know, but I feel like train is that really happy medium where yeah. it's not a bus. It's not a plane, right? You still get there reasonably quick, especially in Europe when you can country hop, but it's just a little lighter. Yeah. But don't get me wrong. I, I would love if they would, if they would really do high speed rail here because you know, it's, that's really an incredible way to travel. They'll never you know? do it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I doubt it as just well. Just with airline lobbies and rental car lobbies, I just can't imagine they yeah. would do it. Well, and, you know, yeah. Not not to mention probably the challenges of the new tracks and, and routes and right-of-ways and landowner issues, like, you know. Yeah. yeah. Didn't they talk about San Fran to L.A. in one hour, the train yeah. that yeah. was going to, like, burrow or some crap? I remember yeah. that from... Wow, yeah. That must have been a decade ago now, but yeah, uh, that never happened as no. far as I know. <laughs> I think that's I think that's dead now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's fun. We enjoy it, and and like I said, I'm so fortunate that Pam is willing and and just she she is so comfortable in her own skin that you know to to go do a two and a half or three day train trip is exciting for her because she's never done it before or you know um, just to experience it. You know, she's. She loves it, you know, so. You got to have a good travel partner. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm I'm really glad you guys are rocking. I'm glad you had good travels. And more importantly, I'm glad to hear we're only a month away from Pally Tai coming back. (laughs) Yeah. I will let you know when we actually figure out uh, where we're going to be. How can people, I hear you have a text message chain or something. How can people follow you and know where you're going to be? So that's probably, that is probably the best way. Because are you on Instagram or do you have a social media? We are. We started out pretty, pretty strong on Instagram when we first started, but you know, I, I, it's not my strong suit. So you run the account? Uh, Yeah. Instagram is mine and that's why it's been inactive for about a year. (laughs) We, you know, we actually, I mean, we, I feel bad because we do have a lot of followers and, and early on people were really cranking on it and I, I just didn't necessarily keep up with it as much as I should have. Um, you know, the, the, the truth, too, is that, you know, we're so busy sometimes 
that it, it's almost like I'm afraid to tell more people on a Monday night. You know, and I know that sounds crazy, and I almost hesitate. Dude, that is the best problem to have well, it, that it, I've ever heard. It's a good problem, yeah. right? But it's still a problem, you know, and, and yeah. I hesitate to vocalize it because I don't want people to say, oh, well, they're so busy, we don't need to show up. I mean, that's not it at all. But we, we want to make sure that, you know, when people do show up, that they have a good experience. And, and so I, I need to be better about the Instagram. We do have one. It's, it's like Pally dash tie or Pally underscore tie. Pam's much better about Facebook. She does the, she keeps up with the Facebook and it's the same, uh, but she puts the schedule on there. And then we do have the text, um, direct text, which I think is the best because I send that out every Monday. And then, you know, you'll have the schedule for that week, right in your, in your text. You don't have to fumble around well for me it would be fumbling around on you know Social instagram media. or facebook and then going down the rabbit hole on some politics in town or something who knows you know so um yeah that one is really nice and um i can give you the yeah how do people the, sign the up number. for it yeah so y- y- there's two ways um one way is if you come in and you place your order after you're done with your order um it'll give you the option you can just put your phone number in and uh, it, and opt into that and if you don't want to do it that way, um, you can just text the word join, J-O-I-N, join, to uh, 1-844-340-6163. And uh, I should put that on our Instagram as well. But if you just text the word join to that number, it'll opt you in and then you have to confirm. And then every Monday you'll get a text from me telling you where we're going to be and what we're up to. So I think that's an awesome way to do it. And then it, you have it yeah. and you know what's up for the week. Yeah. Kind of plan your week if you want to come check yeah. it out. And the thing I like about it is it's, you know, it's opt-in, so it's only people who are interested. Um, it's one text a week, um, and uh, you don't have to deal with Because there's a lot of people, honestly, that, you know, they don't do social media, and I respect that. And so it's a good way for us to connect directly with our, our you know, our best uh, customers. So, Well, so. we're coming up on two hours talking about time flying. Yeah. Uh, so it's cool to get, you know, get to know you better, yeah. and I appreciate you coming by. One final question. Just sure. curious. You know, you guys seem to have opened this food truck, not on a whim, but it was something that kind of came about quickly, it seems. And I think a lot of people, especially chefs, you know, always dream about having their own place. And they may work for another restaurant or they may just be in school and they're wondering how they're going to put it all together. Just curious. Do you have any advice for chefs that would be looking to start a food truck or open a restaurant uh, from your experience? Anything you'd like to offer them? Yeah, well, um, thanks for having us, and thank you for, you know, uh, providing the, the service to the town, and, and thank you for, you know, the, the faith in, in the fact that people are interested in what we're doing. We appreciate that. So, I'm trying. I don't know. know if anyone cares, but yeah, I'm, I'm well, doing I'm having fun. Well, so, you yeah, know what yeah. I'm saying? Everything yeah. that you're saying resonates with me. It's like, you just do what you like to do, and uh, hopefully that shines through. And yeah. No, it's, it's been a great conversation, and, and I'd be remiss without telling you that, you know, we, we love to carry your guys' product, and you have a really strong following when we do have it you know people are like oh man I, I love it they love the, the packaging the marketing so you know it's a good fit for us um and so we've appreciated having that opportunity and whatnot but thank you, know, you. we're similar in the sense that we have very beautiful successful women behind us yes right <laughs> that's, that's right 100 percent. you know i i think my um you know my it's going to be boring like my advice um and people aren't going to want to hear it but is to have a good plan, have a good business plan. You know, we put together, I spent, you know, countless 
hours and days and weeks putting our business plan together. All the boring stuff too. I didn't, you know, skip the section on who's your market, you know, who's this, who's that, what's what's your plan for this, and and everybody says it, and it it seems really daunting at first, you know, like oh my god, I have to put together this twenty page document or whatever, but you know the value is in the doing. And as you begin to answer those questions, if you run up to a question that you don't know the answer to, that's a then that's a blind spot in your business. And if things don't, you know, if you're going to start this business, you want to have every opportunity to say, okay, are we are we on track or are we off track? And if we're off track, why? Okay, we'll adjust the business plan. So it, I know it's so boring and people, it's just, it's not what any entrepreneur wants to do. That's not how entrepreneurs are wired. You know, we just want to go and do and start and do this cool stuff and make it work. And, you know, I, I guess I have the benefit of having kind of operated most of my life in a very structured business environment where I would have to write test plans or I would have to write, you know, a business case for, for this or that. And for me, that was always sort of the, the tool to say, okay, this is our plan until we get punched in the face. When we get punched in the face, here's plan B, right? Um, and and that has really, I think, and, and we revise ours every year. Every year it changes, you know? And that has been sort of our, um, kind of our North Star or our compass to look each other in the face, you know, Pam and I, and say, this is what we're going to go do. And, um, you know, some, some things work better than others. And if it doesn't work, then we say, okay, well, we'll change that next year. But if we just... You know, so that would be advice number one is really know your business, know what you want to achieve and, and lay it down so that you know where your success markers are. What does success look like for you, right? And and the other thing I would say is um, make sure your food is good because, you know, we've been very fortunate in that, you know, I think, you know, Pam's food is, is great and people love it. Um and and that has made a lot of other we've been able to make a lot of other mistakes you know like social media wise or whatever you know um but if if you don't start from a and it sounds stupid because everybody thinks their food is good and you know i don't want to pick on anybody i never will but you know there are some some maybe some trucks out there where you just kind of think gosh i don't know what their strategic differentiator is right um i always tell everybody never wanted to be the 18th barbecue truck in mesa county and some of our good friends own barbecue trucks, and I love them. They're great people, but it just never made sense to me to go, and 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 I'm sure people can make money at it. I'm not saying that, but you know, make sure your food's good, and and then figure out your market, and then do it. You know, as Warren Miller says, if you don't do it this year, you'll be a year older when you do. I love that. So, and I know. think that that's what you said really hits home. What's your strategic difference? What's your competitive advantage? Right. Even if you want to open a barbecue truck, don't just be another barbecue truck. What makes your barbecue different? Not right. better, not you know necessarily, but what makes you different? And why are people going to come to you over that other barbecue truck? That's right. Or what's the lifestyle? What's the joy that you're offering someone? Right. I think that's great advice. And also, there's just no getting around the work. That's right. There's no easy street, man. That's what people think about small business, you know? Oh. It's like, oh, yeah. It's, man, yeah. they're a lot of work, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. You got to love it, right? You got to love it. And don't think, yeah, don't think it's going to be easy. It's not a, I told another joke at the high school, which, you know, the, uh, kind of tongue in cheek, right? But we used to say in our old business, but I, I asked the kids, I said, do you know how to make a small fortune in the food truck business? And they all looked at me like, no, how do we make a small fortune? I said, start with a big one. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of ways there's, I think we can all look at other food trucks who have come and gone or sold. Right. And so th back to that business model again. Right. I mean, I've, I've known some folks who really went at it really hard and kind of just on a treadmill, 
right, trying to sell burgers for, you know, more than the next guy. And it's like it kind of becomes a volume business at that point, which is sort of uh, not not an enviable position, I don't think. So, yeah, you got to think it through and, and, and be brutally honest with yourself about about your level of commitment, what you can value you can bring to your customer and uh, and your place in the market, I think, so. I love it. I want to come to this next uh, talk you give at the high school. Ah, yeah, I want I to hear know. all these jokes land. <laughs> I'm not sure if they'll invite us back after that. They're like, oh, was that the old guy that just told the jokes from 30 years ago? Well, time will tell. We'll see yeah. what pops up in the next few years. It was fun. Thanks again for coming by. I can't yeah. wait to see you sitting out the truck this summer or this spring. It was my, my pleasure. Thanks for having us. And, uh, you know, thanks for thanks for being such big supporters of us you know, when we're out and about. We appreciate it. Anytime, man. Mike yeah. from Pelletai. Appreciate you. Cool. Well, thanks, man. Bye, everybody. Now I'm riding the terrain, flying high up once again Got my crew sitting healthy and my boo living wealthy Level 99, never settle in my mind So I pedal and I climb up the pedestal and find Almighty weapon, so I calm lightly step into the castle Satchel, tackled, wrestled Down the corridor where I'm grounded through the floor Roundhouse into my core, down, out and through the door Sword, down at my side, I gotta round up and ride Face boss, break jaws till I take off Face off, stop and swing my serious strike this is it take the title disappear in the night to the whole wide world got the keys to the kingdom overseas with the wisdom guarantee that my rhythm hit the whole world slay the boss in the castle when we cross final battle then i walk out travel to the whole world got the keys to the kingdom overseas with the wisdom guarantee that my rhythm hit the whole world slay the boss in the castle when we cross final battle then i walk out travel to the Wide world.